This week, support for Zap to the Past podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. To join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their most prized possessions with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code ZAPT20. That's ZAPT20, Z-A-P-P-E-D 20 at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls that are already being shaved by Manscaped products. And welcome to episode 74 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined, as always, by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that are released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our second batch of games from issue 33 of Zap 64, which we are no way affiliated with, and were tired out by track and field, left pie-eyed by Radius, and were tested by Trivial Fruit. This week, we continue our look at the games in January 1988, along with what was lighting up our TV screens that month. So, Graham, tell us what we have going on in this episode. In this old-school newsagent and sweet shop selling classic magazines like Zap, Gorzone and What Fishing Rod, as well as quarter-ounce bags of goodies like Cop Cops, Cola Cubes, Sherbet Lemons and Fizz Bombs, and of course, Mini Mojos, of an episode. We deftly bounce and manoeuvre our nimble balls through a fast-zooming checkerboard landscape in the exciting Cosmic Causeway, climb aboard and captain a speedy hydrofoil warship around the high seas looking for trouble causers in PHM Pegasus, grab our best war yo-yos and head into an alien festooned world to show off our walking the dog trick and then to kill everything that moves in the somewhat minuscule Rygar before grabbing our speediest ice skates, thick padding and helmets as we enter the slapshot sinbin and puck flinging world of superstar ice hockey. If that bag of aniseed balls hasn't quite cracked your teeth and you still feel some sherbet pips and kali might be just what the dentist ordered, we take to the skis, well, the sleighs, and then strap ourselves into a metallic shoe and judder painfully down the speedless ice tunnels of bobsleigh, grab our leathers, helmets, boots and motorcycles and head to the M25 for a dull and somewhat repetitive race to nowhere in Mean Streak, read our 48-page field manual before collecting our backpack, provisions and blue lights, and heading into battle in the thinking man's Rambo world of Airborne Ranger, strain to see the connection between the C64 pixelated hemorrhoid that got released and the actual licensed property it purported to represent with the crappy inspector gadget before finally cranking our amps up to 11, hitting a power cord, jumping on our best skateboards, leaping off a curb or two, doing an ollie, whatever that is, and heading into the pop-punk inspired and genuinely brilliant mini-games of Skate or Die. For every yin, there is a yang. There are some great titles in here, sadly also, like Finding a Horse's Eyeball in Your Soup, a great big monstrous 8-bit load of dog egg. Ew. Okay, okay, that could be okay. There could be some tasty good games sandwiches there. there. Tasty <laughs> sandwiches, <laughs> absolutely filled with mm. good filling. Good filling, um, yes, good meat filling. filling, toast topper. 
Remember toast topper? Mm. It looked horrible, but it tasted nice. <laughs> <laughs> What's a toast topper? I don't remember, yeah, remember that. Toast topper. It was like it, it, no. looked, it was in a tin, and it was basically you'd, you'd spread it on top of your to- on top of your toast and put it under the grill, and it was toast topper. <laughs> Sounds is it in some way like those um, pates you used to get in those? Basically, but chunkier. Yeah, chunkier. Big, big, yeah, it looked like sick. It looked like someone had sicked on your bread. What flavors did this toast topper come in? Yeah, uh, white and chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. White. <laughs> no, there wasn't two flavors. That was the one flavor. It was just white and chicken. White sauce, chicken. All oh, right. Okay. So With on toast. Black bits in it. Well, yeah, you put on. T- I know. Don't question the idea of chicken on toast. For God's sake. <laughs> I am questioning. That's horrible. <laughs> That's Heston Blumenthal's latest menu out the window if you do that. <laughs> And with good cause. Heston, <laughs> you've done a bad thing. Stop this nonsense. Well, the, Very- be like, the, ch- the chickens loved it. You can't feed chickens <laughs> to chickens, you maniac. <laughs> no wonder you're a crazy chef. Absolutely. <laughs> I watched his show once where he tried to make the ultimate burger. It just looks like a bloody burger to me. Yeah, I've seen a few of his shows where he, he just... There was one show i think where he was making giant versions of biscuits and things it was all very strange giant biscuits they're not going to fit in your tin no you're not going to get any packed lunchbox and and he also well for one for a period of time i think he was doing the menus on maybe one of the train services i think it was the gner trains at the time so instead of it being the usual you know cheese and onion sandwich you was getting you know hawk egg i'm not sure (laughs) i want that It's it's freshly, freshly laid, sir. You can hear the hook in the back. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Every time one orders one, we have to squeeze it. <laughs> it's that crab juice. What's it going to be? It's all we've got. Absolutely. We've got three people apply for the job of hawk squeezer. <laughs> <laughs> Only one could get it, though. And he had really big hands. Big hands. <laughs> But a nice way about him. Absolutely. He's got a very gentle touch. Very gentle <laughs> yeah, exactly. touch. Apart from when he has to squeeze, he squeezes slowly. And the hawk, we think he likes it. Well, it's like he's trying to remove a blackhead. He just works his way from the outside in. That's <laughs> <laughs> not, not what I want to think of my eggs. <laughs> yeah, hawk although, eggs. Although that is how I eat them. Just as a note, we don't recommend you eat hawk eggs because I think they're a protected species from the RSPB. And I tell you what, they will shoot you out of the sky. <laughs> hawks yeah when did they get dangerous <laughs> look the rspb have been uh, arming in the bird population for some time oh there's a whole thing about it online but let's not let's not go into it right let's, now let's not go there no let's not should we um should we get in some actually so while we're talking about birds that pigeon's still a bloody bout the, the um thing the one that <laughs> robert, sings to you robert palmer yeah still robert doing pigeon. it robert pigeon yeah i'm starting to feel like i'm trapped in an edgar Allan poe story but with a pigeon instead of a, a fall of the house of usher well because I, 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 you, you have your pigeons problem. I have some wood pigeons that periodically, and it seems to be about five, half five in the morning, maybe dawn or dawn as dawn breaks, maybe around that time. I like to do some kind of version of river dance in my gutters. So outside, like taka 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 taka, it's going to be a short-lived version of river dance for them. Because <laughs> if I catch up with them, they're going to be ex pigeons. There's going to be hawks squeezing. <laughs> I'll squeeze the eggs out of those pigeons. I get hold of them. I'll fire them like a an angry bullet. I told you before, it's going to get last of my weekends on them. <laughs> Mogwa, I will end your seed. <laughs> we'll end you. Listen to me, Greyfeather. <laughs> uh, right. I think we need to get into some games quickly. Quickly, do it. Let's get into So, okay. Right, that's that. Let's get into our first game. And our first game is a sequel. It's a full price sequel. It's a Sizzler. It is Cosmic Causeway. Uh, this is Sean Sutton again, Mr. Chip Software, Gremlin Graphics. There he is. They're back. That, that Dream Team are back with a Sizzler. And it's the sequel to Trailblazer, Cosmic Causeway. 
Good title. Which we that. liked. We liked Trailblazer. I think we didn't did we? like Trailblazer. Did yes, and good title. Cosmic Causeway. It's a nice, it is. you know, nice bit of alliteration and yeah, fits clever. the game. Good stuff. Good, good title. I like that. So anyway, this is wider, faster, and with more going on. Um, but does it alleviate? Sounds, like, sounds like my Tinder profile. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like uh, the beginning to $6 million, man. <laughs> wider, faster, with more going on. Maybe the half million dollar man if he's wider, I think. <laughs> the, ten, there you go, the, anyway. ten, the 10 bob bit man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry, I digress. <laughs> yeah, does this, well, we did like Trailblaze, yes, but we did, one of the things we did pick up on was the, the difficulty. It's bloody hard. Um, so does this alleviate some of those difficulty issues that plague Trailblazer? Um, or does it, you know, just double down on that? Let's, so, you know, does it just, you know, like, nope, it's going to be still be very hard. So let's let's find out. As noted, it's coded by Sean Southern. There's no story here. <laughs> There's, there isn't any. I couldn't find a single bit of story. It's, it's just there it's, is. no. It's just simple arcade styling. That's it. It's just an arcade. It's just an arcade game. He's made, made an arcade game, and he's gone right. It, yep. it doesn't need a story. We don't need justification. Just that's it. You are a ball, and you must make it to the end of 24 courses by rolling as fast as you can from point A, otherwise known as the start, to point B, otherwise known as the end of each uh, track. That's it. Courses are straight ahead. There's no corners in sight. So just push up to go faster and shoot. Uh, yeah, so you can shoot in certain select, uh, certain sections. You move left and right to steer the ball, move it right and left. You pull back to slow down, and you press fire to jump. That's it. This game you is get not... more arcadey than that, do you, no, really? It's nothing if not easy to pick up and play this. So once this loads up, you have the normal... It's a, quite a normal Sean Southern-style title screen. There's nothing particularly to write home about. You press the fire button, and you're straight in. Your ball's at the bottom of the screen, and the world is depicted as a giant checkerboard landscape stretching off in all directions 3d into the screen um we've seen this kind of thing in lots of things but um you know this land it floats in space under a static i thought the star field was a bit poor in the in the sky that was a little bit poor but it's probably the only weak thing in this the detail that you immediately notice here is that unlike trailblazer which was a narrow track it's only only five squares wide uh, to stay on this landscape here is infinite in either direction so it just goes off to the left and right. It just fills the bottom half of the screen. So there's no falling off the track here. You keep moving to the left, you can keep moving to the right. It just loops around. It's fine. So it's kind of got rid of that difficulty of, of worrying about falling off the edge of the track because you can't. There's no falling off here. So it's uh, slightly more forgiving in that respect than its predecessor. Uh, you start the game in the grey zone of checkered squares, and these mark the start and end of each section. The course itself is made up of different coloured squares, kind of like, just like Trailblazer, all of which have different effects on the ball. And in this way, like I said, it's very similar to Trailblazer. So just to say what we've got here, we've got black squares. They're basically holes, so don't fall through them. Don't you know? You'll fall. You'll fall off the track. Um, black so squares got, are holes. I love that. Yeah, that's what they are. They're, they're holes. Avoid or jump over these. Red squares slow you down. Green squares speed you up. Blue squares give you a very high bounce. Purple squares knock you backwards. And the course, as I said, no, not made up of... Yeah, they are very annoying, especially when you there's a certain couple of levels which are incredibly annoying. On the course is normally made up of brown squares, like two shades of brown, um, but um, but sometimes the course is made up of cyan and pink squares, and these uh, will reverse your left and right controls. And that simple as it was, just broke my brain every time I got to them. <laughs> I was like, move left, yep. move, and it just I was like, ay, oh yeah. So they're quite tricky. The object of the game is simply to get to the end of the level, to get to the next set of grey squares before the timer counts down to zero. If you do that, you get to them, then any time left is converted into two points. And the time left is added on to the allotted time for the next track. There are also glowing silver discs that appear on the levels. And hitting these gives you between one and three credits. Now, these can be spent at the start of each round on the following. So you've got power-ups now. This is a new thing. 
we've got power. So we've got uh, you've got your score times three. Um, this costs you three credit. Uh, basically, multiplies your score you, you you gain by three. You can roll on the ceiling, um, and you're going to need that at certain points. And uh, you know if there is one, don't select it. If there isn't one, that's just stupid. Again, that costs three credits. Uh, you can de- deactivate the cyan squares, which makes it's get rid of the reverse controls. That also costs three credits. You can deactivate the purple squares for four credits. So those ones that bounce you back gets rid of them. You can have a turbo for five credits. That makes you go faster, which is crazy. You can get a shield uh, for six credits, which protects you from aliens. I'll get to them in a bit. Uh, and you can roll over holes for seven credits. That's it, really. Um, and finally, there's one called the time retarder. Now, it's the game's words, not mine. So please don't. It's not. I didn't call it that. For seven credits, which slows down time to half speed. Okay. So all these have an icon at the bottom of the screen whilst you're in the gray pre-level area and lights up sequentially. So what happens is it'll start on the first one, which is the three... Uh, three uh, times three multiplier and it will just go along them um and it's simply if you've got enough credits you simply press your fire press the fire button while it moves over them while one's lit up and it selects it uh it selects the upgrade you want and it will be activated like i said if you've got enough credits be mindful though that it will only stay active for one level so if you you kind of need to learn stuff so select the one you know no no point in selecting the uh get rid of the scion if cyan effect if there's no cyan on that level because that would just be a waste of credits um so you know just be careful what you select the game itself is split into four sections each section has six tracks and at the end of the sixth track a dragon will appear and spit fireballs at you in this section pressing up shoots back and you have to hit the dragon quite a lot of times I lost track of how many times you've got to hit it before it dies. And also, you make sure you have enough time to do it to progress to the end of the section. So you, you essentially, you know, this is the point where you might actually run out of time because it can take quite a while to shoot the dragon. So all that fast moving through the previous five sections and getting to this bit is, is in service to get here to have enough time to take the dragon down. Because if you run out of time before the dragon dies, that's, you know, tough. You're, you're dead. And if you do run out of time on any level, that's it. Game over. There's no lives in this. That's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, well, it's not a bad thing. It's just it's a time attack game. So you get your timer is your ultimate nemesis in this. Not lives. You don't have any lives. You have infinite lives. If you do kill the dragon, you get a bonus based on the time um, time left. The timer itself is reset, and you progress to the next section of six tracks. So you don't you don't accrue time to go into the next section. That resets itself. There are also hazards on the track that come in the shape of aliens, which can be shot, or obstacles like trees, boulders, um, and walls with, with doors in, which cannot be shot, and they've got to either be avoided, like the trees and the boulders, or pass through the doors. There's three types of doors as well. Ones that open are always open, or open and closing. Ones that open as you get near to them, one that closes as you get near to them. So you've you got to kind of learn which is which. Um, if you clip any of these, so hit the aliens, hit the trees, hit the boulders, hit the walls, or anything like that, it knocks you, or get hit by the dragons who spit in fireballs at you, it kind of knocks you off the screen. And although you, as I said, you have infinite lives, these encounters cost you time. And that's your big, big bug because It takes a second or two to come back onto the level. And that makes it harder to complete the later levels of a section or even the one you're on. There are also parts, like I said earlier, you've got that power-up where a roof appears and having the requisite power-up will flip the ball onto the roof. And that is necessary to get past some of the trickier parts of the game. And that's it. This is very fast. It's Trailblazer. If you know Trailblazer, it's very fast, but a lot more. And it really does what a sequel should do. It ups the technical ante, because this is, you know, the whole screen scrolling now and the roof section is amazing. It brings in some new elements that fit well. The power-ups, they're quite well thought of and they fit and you've got to try and remember them and work, you know, use them when necessary. And it expands on the first game in meaningful ways. It's still very hard. And there is a criticism of this that it is just a memory game. 
you know, with the tracks being more like puzzles to navigate and courses to complete. Um, and that's true, but it's hard. It's, a, it's an arcade game. So just like a lot of arcade games, a lot of arcade games, it's remembrance. You know, things like that Metro Cross we played. A lot of arcade games are based on remembering tracks. And yeah, they around. are indeed. And so, you know, there's no problem with that. And this is what, you know, and that's true, but... And that's what Sean Southern does very well. You know, he does these kind of fast-paced, technically proficient arcade, te- you know, see, you know, home computer takes on arcade logic and ideas. And on top of that, it's taken cues from things like Space Harrier, um, with the th- use of the dragons, the sort of sprite scaling of things coming at you, the, the trees, the boulders, those kind of stuff. So, and this is far better than Space Harrier on the C sixty four for one thing. Um, and it's also taken inspiration from shooters as well with its mid level upgrades and its credit system. There is, you know, if we're talking technical little bits, there's a little bit of raster flicker on the horizon point um, on the on the landscape. But you know, considering the speed this thing runs at normally, let alone if you get the turbo and then you and then have a roof appear, which is kind of like heading into the infinite in 2001. You can let it off for that. Um, As you're far too focused on dodging the squares coming at you at breakneck speed. Um, The music's nothing to write home about, although I do actually like the main in-game tune as it fits the speed and feel of the game. It's, you know, it's just, it burbles along at its pace and it keeps you going and it's not too onerous. It doesn't annoy. It's quite, it's okay. It's not brilliant, but it's, it's, fits and that's okay the visuals on the track are simple the checkerboard is incredibly well done it's super fast screen filling landscape there's just no frame rate chugs that i saw ever it's just super smooth uh the sprite scaled enemies are okay they're a bit wobbly maybe but they move fast and the dragon <laughs> i thought the dragon's more cute than deadly it is hard to hit the credits though as they appear so fast so knowing where they appear on each level is something to remember as to get those high scores and remember this is an arcade game so it is about it's a high score chase it's a high score board everything like that you need to activate certain ones on certain levels to get through them as fast as you can because there's certain parts where it's all red for ages and so you know you want to negate those red parts so you got to remember which level that's on get the right amount of credits activate that one and then you can zoom through those bits but even so even because of all this i thought the onboarding in this game so the initial levels are much better than trailblazer the first few levels introduce the concepts that you'll need to deal with in a thoughtful and well-designed way upping the ante with the different squares in each subsequent level and that's really good to see some thought been put into this the design of the first few levels there's only 24 but you know those first few it's quite easy it's easy enough to get to the first dragon and kill it um, and so that feels, you know, you feel like you're getting somewhere in this game. The next level, when the roof rolls in, is a real wow moment from a visual perspective, I thought. It's brilliant. The way it just smoothly, and the whole screen is just scrolling at you. I was like, wow, this is this looks amazing. And flipping back and forth is great. Um, and, and, and for all that's been added, it's in this design element that I think that this raises the game above Trailblazer. It's more welcoming from the start, but it still offers that arcade high score core for those players that really want to ace it yet for those who don't there's still the chance to scramble your way to the finish line it's kind of got a good balance between you might you know you just make it oh you just get there but if you really learn this and get really good at it you can ace these levels you know exactly where the power-ups are you know which ones to activate flying through these levels at breakneck speed dodging the holes bouncing off the blue squares power you know avoiding those uh, purple ones and you can really get really good at this i'm not really good at it i'm one of those scramble to the end and th- end players but i can imagine that some people will really ace this and like we saw, I thought, with Kickstart 2, for me, this took everything from the first game and made it better. I really like this. It got 90, what was it, 93%? Yeah, 93. Bang on. Technically amazing and good fun to play. It gets a huge thumbs up from me. This is a great way to start the episode. I really enjoyed this. Much more than I did Trailblazer. I thought this was great. What about you? Oh, yeah. It's a clever game, isn't it? This technically really, really clever. Really solid code base for this. What a coder Sean Southern is, really. I mean, I like, I like the original game. I was never very good at it, but I still liked it. 
And this one just sort of keeps to that central core, but adds enough embellishments to give it this really new dynamic twist. And it really has up the graphic ante on everything. I think the ball is bigger, you're faster, the actual screen areas, but everything's everything is better, which is what you want in a sequel, as you rightly point out. I think it's a really good move in this to blend that kind of uh, the arcade stylings of a space area into this. Space area, people take note because this is how you should have done it. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so, but either way, it's got a, it's a nice blend of the bits of space area that make would make Trailblazer really good and m- sort of mashing those two together. So it does remain very tough. It's the toughest nails I'll experience, but you get that really good feeling of breakneck speed in this and it never feels impossible. And I think that's really, really important. Trailblazer was not, imp- it was hard like this is, but it was, it never felt impossible. It's really challenging, obviously, but because of that little factor and the balance is just right, um, it's got enough to keep you wanting to keep going at this and try again and try again. You, you want to try and get further and do more because it's, it's clever. It's, as you say, very clever design. Having infinite balls, hey, <laughs> so your enemy here is time is a really good move for this because that makes the game, you're not worrying about falling off things. You've got to just worry about getting to the end in the best time possible, which is exactly what it's all set out to do. So I really like the arcade logic of this game. It's equally matched by the actual implementation, which is jaw-dropping. I mean, the code for this must be so optimized. It's unreal. I know there's a little, little bit of raster glitch in there. I don't know if that's an emulator thing or whether that's on the real hardware. I have no idea of knowing that. Just somebody will correct us on it. But it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect anything. No. Um, you've got a couple of tiny little raster flick as well. The main screen is what you're looking at. You're not going to notice them. It is a cracking game, this. It always was. And it was more than a brilliant sequel for, for Trailblazer. So hats off to Sean Southern. He really has pulled it out. I mean... The Zap Review, they were absolutely blown away by how fast and how impressive this was. And I think it behooves us not to sort of say, go and play this to really see that the C64 really does have some good tricks up its sleeve to really throw graphics at the screen. Mm. Um, really, really clever stuff, this. So um, I really liked it. I was playing it for quite a while, actually. Like you, I just kind of bluffed my way to the end. Those purple blocks drove me mad, especially when you get long <laughs> columns of them and it kind of bounces you backwards over, you know, like, stop bouncing me backwards, I don't want you... Especially with those ones on that first cyan level as well. <laughs> I... But like you say, when you get to that part where the roof comes in, it is mind-blowing, albeit very 2001. So I did wake up in a room with an, L- an OAP. <laughs> um, not sure how I got there, really. And so I started to see weird stuff. But it's either way. obelisk in the corner. Like, yeah, exactly. That? Well, that's still, that's still over there. I can't, don't want to do with that. Every time I touch it, it emits this sort of shriek and loads of astronauts collapse. I don't know what. I don't even know why the astronauts are here. In fact, I don't Mon- even know where I am. Monkey loves a bone at you. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying nothing to that statement. I'm, I'm, I'm moving away from that. No monkeys were harmed in the making of this podcast or their bones. So, yes, it, long and the short of it all, I, I think it's a great game. I always did. I always liked these games. I just never could. I never. I was never great at them. But I didn't stop me having a real good go at this. So really good Cosmic Causeway. Really, really good. Well done, Sean Southern. Well done. Golf clap for you. Golf clap. Well done. Brilliant. Brilliant. Really, really clever stuff. Mm. Got to to admire someone that can make the C64 operate at that frame rate. That is really slick programming. So just brilliant. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Good stuff. Yeah. And like I said, great name as well. Fits the the, um, concept. I could easily see this in an arcade. You go up to this on an arcade and see all the bells and whistles and everything that an arcade could throw at it. It'd be brilliant. Absolutely. Did this have less 
two-player options in Trailblazer. I couldn't remember. I, can't remember. I don't think I don't... it has a two-player mode at all, does it? No, no. I don't remember seeing one, but it doesn't make a difference, does it? I don't know how no, really that many think... people really got into that. But No, I mean, obviously Trailblazer was the two-player option, I suppose, which yeah. did, the, did the thing. So I suppose on that respect, it's a bit thingy. But that, you know, this maybe you found that most people didn't care for the two-player modes. We just well, took, exactly. took all the extra processing time and just threw it at yeah. widening the track. Sacrifice the roof. that for sacrifice that for bigger balls. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Big, <laughs> bigger balls and a wider track to slide them down. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, more more things to bounce them on. So, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. All good. Mm. All, All good. good. All good. <laughs> Let's move along quickly. <laughs> quickly out of that. To our next one, Graham, you have been riding around the, uh, I don't know, middle, middle, I don't know where they are. All over the place. You've been riding around the seas aboard the good ship, the POHM Pegasus. Tell us what that was like. Well, this is interesting, actually, this. So this is a Lucasfilm slash electronic arts game, which is kind of an odd combination. Programmed Mm. by, it was designed, and the head programmer was Noah Falstein. He's got a little blurb in the in the manual for this, where he sort of welcome says hello and hi, I'm uh, I'm Noah. Um, I like I'm a beach person and a night person. You know, he didn't really say that, but anyway, he's got a little blurb in there. Programmers are Edwin R. Reich and uh, Junior, sorry, and Lawrence E. Holland, and the program artist Ken Macklin, technical consultants Vern Salisbury, Scott Orlasky, sounds and music Christopher Grigg. So it's a bit of a combination of people from I think there's a few Lucasfilm people. There's a picture. Like I say in the manual, where they're at the Lucasfilm Ranch, so guessing that's where this was made anyway. So what is it all about? Well, the PHS Pegasus is a ship and naval simulation slash action game. The title refers to the USS Pegasus, or the PHM-1, which is the numeric designation for that, which is a Pegasus-class hydrofoil, which were used by the US Navy in the 1970s. don't think they use hydrofoils now because they were really easy to sink. Um, <laughs> but anyway, never mind that. Maybe they do. Anyway, the game sees you taking the controls of said hydrofoil warship and heading into a choice of eight scenarios. These are uh, demo mode, which actually is just a, a you know you're watching something play out, so you get a sort of a feel of how things operate in the game. Um, then you've got battle training, graduation exercise, terrorist attack, a better part of valor, search for terrorists, supply convoy, surveillance mission, and jihad, Persian Gulf. <laughs> now, before I dive too too far, because I'm going to look at sort of all of these options and, and go through the game, just to say that some of the nomenclature for this some of the settings for these games and some of the settings for these scenarios is, is probably now modern, in modern times a bit more troubling in terms of the sort of the, the narrative that's constructed around them and the and the people who are and the, and the you know the various different countries that are involved in this particular thing so um, i'm not going to sugarcoat any of that or try and change it i'm just going to go through it but just bear that in mind that this is a game of its time and so some of the um, some of these sort of some of the countries that get involved in some of these scenarios, you know, well, I don't know if it's a good idea to be sort of, you know, you wouldn't do that now, put it that way anyway. But anyway, we'll come to that. Mm-hmm. So once you've selected which of your scenarios you're going to go for, you're presented with your ops view. And in the ops view, you can do a number of things. Principally, you can select your target destination and navigate to it using the various keyboard commands. Nothing too taxing about that. Um, so you select your vehicle, which is the F1 key. In some scenarios, by the way, you've also got other vehicles you can select, including helicopters and other hydrofoils. And also you can select convoys of those with F7, F3, F5, and F7. So the big old keys on the old Commodore 64 there. So once you've selected that, you can move your target reticule on your ops view with your joystick and select your speed with keys 0 to 5. 0 is full stop. We'll stop the engines dead. 1 to 5 is your actual speed. And away you go. You're now hydrofoiling your way around. Cool. Uh, there are... 
There are some wider controls that are also going to help you out in here. So R and Shift R will alter the range of your radar. Very important. You need to know how to understand how that works. This is presented in your ops view as a circle around your ship. So you get a feel of what's around you at any given time. It actually starts off quite small. So you, you kind of want to sort of expand that a little bit and um, to sort of so you get a better feel of what's around you at any given moment. Plus or minus will double or half your time rate. The game's based in a kind of a real time it plays out. So things take a while to do. So sometimes you want to speed things up and slow things down. You've got to be careful how you manage that whole thing, though. Some of the scenarios are time-based, and you know, so you, you can't really sort of you just zoom your way around. But it does give you a bit of a bit of freedom to sort of get to places where you might need to be a bit quicker. And so it is, a, I suppose, a handy way of speeding things up. N, re, N, the letter key, uh, the letter key, the key N on the keyboard resets you back to normal time. D changes the icons. By the way, this is such a useful thing. Changes your icons from radar circles to vessel icons on the map so you can actually see what's around you as opposed to just seeing sort of dots very handy that mm -hmm. and pressing v will switch between your ops view and your bridge view now as you traverse around you quickly find yourself under attack from enemy ships or all sorts of other varieties of, of baddies and here your bridge view as it was as it was comes into play so on this particular view you, you're actually looking out to see in the, in the middle of the sort of view window your instrumentation uh, so you're looking out to see over the middle of the view window with the sea sort of rolling away there your instrumentation is at the bottom, and that gives you damage status, fuel speed, your RPM, your compass, your radar, of course, and weapons payload status, so how many missiles and whatnot's got left. And also, um, you get your damage indication. Damage indication is really important in this game because your ship is actually separated into watertight bulkheads. I think there's four in your main... I think it's six in the, your main ship, of which four can be damaged at any given time. Anyway, as on the right-hand side of the screen, as you get take on damage... You start off with a, a number of light, bit of light damage is going to sort of gradually show up as a yellow warning on your ship on the various parts of the ship that are being hit. Take too many hits and it's going to go to red. And if more than four compartments light up red, then you're afraid your hydrofoil has sustained too heavy damage and you are going to sink. So, no, it's not, uh, that's not good. So, you've got to try and avoid trying to take on too many hits. In maneuver mode, um, you can steer the ship because there's two modes when you're on that view there's maneuver mode and there's sort of weapons, engage weapons aiming mode. So in maneuver mode, you can actually steer the ship with the joystick, which I think is quite a nice way of controlling both direction and speed. So you do feel like you're actually sort of pushing the ship where you want it to go. The trouble is the view doesn't necessarily give you a lot of information to go on in that respect, but you sort of get the idea. You're, you're sort of moving. So it's not, it's not a bad way of being able to sort of quickly nip around. Remember, hydrofoils are fast, agile vessels, so it's designed to be quick. So at least you get the kind of, you know, you're not sort of chugging around and you're turning circle of your ship isn't sort of two days, which on some of the giant bulk carriers is exactly what it is. Not that in the, you know, in the military, that's going to hinder you in a military situation. <laughs> yeah. but, but then you wouldn't go into battle with a giant, giant tanker. Anyway, <laughs> uh, pressing the space bar will engage weapons aiming mode out, out of maneuver mode. You can flip between the two. In this mode, you press T to engage your targeting binoculars um, or your targeting view, I guess, which appear at the top of the window and give you a close-up view of the enemies that are around you and are probably, by this point, shooting at you wildly. So that also is whatever they may be. You do get an indication of what that is, and the vessels do look like little ships, and they are all different, and they are all obviously coming towards you, so they away from you, going to the left, going to the right, that kind of thing. So it's most likely going to be other ships that are firing at you. You can choose your response with the different weapons. F1 is your cannon, so you can simply slap, slap F1, start shooting your cannons off at them. F3 is chaff, which you can use to evade or thwart enemy missile attacks or by sort of firing a chaff in the air and the missiles go and hit that instead of you. F5 is your missiles, which are either Exocet or Harpoon. 
they do describe all of these and the various merits and demerits of these in the manual, by the way. And F7 is the Gabriel missile. Your time rate controls that we mentioned before, I mentioned before, the plus and the minus still work here, by the way. Um, so some of these controls work across both views. Um, some mm, of them do slightly yeah. different things, but they do work across both views, which is quite handy, actually, in, in some instances. So you can sort of, again, speed up and slow down accordingly. It doesn't really help you in a, when you're in the middle of a battle because it's not something... I never did it, actually, because... I felt that if you was in a real sea battle, you can't just slow time down for convenience. It's, you know, if we could, that would change things, wouldn't it? But we can't. So each of the scenarios in the game, then once you've once you've grasped those controls, and that's all there is: those the keyboard controls, the joystick controls, and those two views which you kind of have to master. And obviously, targeting things with your binoculars and then pressing the various uh, fire button to launch the missiles or shoot at them with your cannons. Each of the scenario scenarios represents a different type of challenge, though they all kind of boil down to the same game really at the end of it all you chase on a map head to the bridge and then you blast away kind of thing that's kind of the, the mainstay so the battle training option that just gives you 10 enemy ships to go out of key west so it's like a training exercise they appear one at a time and it's basically designed so you can learn the ropes okay the following on from that follow-on exercise or scenario is the graduation exercise which is exactly the same as the previous one only all 10 ships attack at once really challenging that is and that gives you a really good idea of how the challenges of the other scenarios are going to pan out and they're really tough so mm-hmm. it goes from being Simple to being rock hard really quickly, this. The others sort of show their 80s colours a bit, as I said before, with some kind of verbose language and tonality to them, in my in my view. You might think differently, but I think there is. So in terrorist attack, it sees you chasing down a load of terrorists that have attacked a seaside resort. Now, I live in a seaside, near a seaside resort, and that would be a nightmare. So you must seek and destroy them as they flee, also noting that they may have be, may be helped helped uh, by ships out of Syrian waters for some reason. So I don't know why that would happen. In that particular scenario, you also command an Israeli Flagstaff 2 warship. So you've got two ships to consider. And you again, you can control those with the F1 and F3 keys. So you actually choose them separately, or you can choose convoy mode in the map. And sort of, you can combine the two. It's actually really clever how that works. Mm-hmm. A better part of Valor is a scenario where you need to in, uh, navigate the Pegasus through the Yucatan Straits as quickly as possible in order to reach southern waters. Enemy ships will stop at nothing to prevent you. So you also control a sea sprite helicopter to screen the screen what's going on around you and help you being overwhelmed. You are absolutely bombarded and attacked in that. So you really, it's more tactical at that point, more avoidance. You can't just go in, sail into the middle of that and start shooting at them. You will run out of missiles very quickly and you'll be dead. So you actually got to use your helicopter to really navigate, trying to avoid things. And some of these scenarios aren't just go in and attack. You've really got to sort of be tactical. You do have a limited amount of weaponry after all. The search for terrorists. An American airbase off the coast of Sicily has been attacked with missiles by two Nanuchka 2 warships. Nanuchka 2s, Adrian. Terrible. Um, Were they um, singers in the 70s? Nanuchka, Nanuchka. I don't know. Probably they played Kate Bush as they sailed into the battle. I don't know. Maybe they were. <laughs> Everyone plays anyway. Kate Bush these days. It's the rigor. <laughs> oh, no, don't. <laughs> has been written into law. <laughs> I know, because of stranger things. Anyway, um, so your mission is to track down the terrorists and the ships before they make good their escape. You actually hand- conveniently have an additional Spavario hydrofoil and an AB212 helicopter to assist you in that particular mission. And of course... You get attacked but the, all the time, but the goal is to actually get the fleeing terrorists at all costs. So you've got to think about resources and speed of how you get there and you know avoidance. And some of these missions you can play out in all sorts of different ways. Supply convoy, um, you need to escort a cargo ship full of medical supplies to some refugees th- through the now dictator-controlled Caribbean. They have some nimble Vosper Thornycroft ships. <laughs> True names. These are real names. So you need to be on your toes there, Adrian. It's a good one, actually, the supply convoy mission. It's really, really good because you've actually got to think about your speed of your hydrofoil there because if you go too fast, you'll just leave your cargo supply convoy that you're meant to be protecting, just leave it behind. 
and then they just get completely annihilated. It's like, you, yeah, your mission's done. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, should have gone slower. Remember, I'm in a high-speed hydrofuller. They're not. <laughs> so you have to, you have to, it's really quite a good one, that one. The surveillance mission, you've got to identify eight ships. This is clever, this one, that are smuggling weapons. They're actually disguised as regular cargo ships. So you've got to actually sail about 1,500 meters away from them. And that will trigger a photography slash or, or, um, identification process automatically. You don't have to do that. But once they're identified and they've checked the numbers, then it's revealed to you that some of them are which ones are which. So you can actually, they sort of get arrested. You're not actually meant to sink any of the vessels in that level. You're just meant to take pictures Rambo style, you know, I'm just taking the pictures. I'm not going to blow where's, anything where's up. Where's the oh, no. fun in that? Well, you've got to be quite sneaky about the way you do it because... But if you if you if you blow anything up, it causes an international incident, and it's quite clever. Why would they put and missiles then, on my ship if I'm not gonna blow anything up? Yeah, well, you can say you've just got to you know pretend they pretend these missiles are cameras. They look they look a lot like missiles. Those cameras. <laughs> is that an Exocet? This is the Canon Exocet. <laughs> Um, this is the Kodak Kodak Stinger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these are missiles made by Kodak for some reason. Anyway, the fi- the final scenario is um, Jihad, unfortunately named, where you yeah, must escort a, escort a supply ship of Western workers trying to flee conflict. So you need to guide them through the Straits of Hormuz. Again, all unnecessary. You could make this. They probably should have made this more make believe. Really. Uh, being careful to avoid out-and-out conflict. To do so would trigger heavy naval response, making life very difficult for you. No worries there. And the obviously the escort, you control all the vehicles in this, and it's actually the hardest mission of all, and also, the unfortunately, the most problematic in terms of its politic for me. So... I did, you know, I'm not going to go on about that one, but you know, you get the idea of what it is. Mm-hmm. So all of that adds up to what? Well, this is it's, this game is tactical. Given that you've got limited ammo, fuel, and range, and all of these scenarios, and you can take on damage to your warship at any given moment all the time. So you need to think about how you play out these scenarios. You can't go gung-ho. It's always fun to do that. So you go in there, guns blazing, well, hey, but you're not going to win. And the higher rankings um, that you get, because if you win these missions, you actually get ranked as a sort of you know commander and captain and that kind of thing. Um, and the further you go down the scenarios, the higher the ranking is available to you. So you know your performance is kind of measured on how you handle your fuel, how you handle and the, the direction of the hydrofoil. And it's quite, it's quite a measured response to how you actually play the level. Quite clever, that. So that's kind of how the difficulty is played out in the game. So the, obviously, the further down the scenarios you go, the more difficult they become. But also, they become less reliant on you shooting everything in sight and more reliant on you using your radar to scan which ships are out the furthest, using your missiles, long-range missiles to shoot them out before they get near the convoys. And it's quite clever how that all works. But on the whole, really, this game is kind of a seek, sail, target, avoid, and blast. It still kind of remains the mainstay of the game. I think the graphics were decent. They're medium res on the whole, but there's enough detail to give a good idea of where you are and what you see. I quite like the ops view. It's simple, but it's effective and you can do what you need to do. Um, the hydrofoil, I think, controls well in most of the aspects, and the targeting is novel. It is novel, but it does kind of work. And there's a nice sense of sea battle about this as you exchange missiles and things. But the view of that is ta- a tad limited, and I think that does hamper the experience a little bit. I get why it works this way. I, I get all of that. But I think it could have just done with an extra viewport for weapons only. So you could have had your bridge view, you could have had your ops view, and there could have been a weapons view, I think. It would have made it a little bit more like the game it's blatantly hinting at, which is Destroyer. But I think that is kind of a missing link here. So for a craft, I thought I felt like when I was playing it, I thought for a craft with very advanced radar and, and extra speed and this kind of futuristic stuff, relying on some dude with binoculars to call out the relative enemy vessels to target <laughs> seemed a little bit odd. When you, Why wouldn't you just have some kind of auto targeting system for okay and i guess it's more exciting it's exciting in the long term than just sort of pressing t to target emperor missile hearing a distant boom 
and then going right that's that one done you know it's so at least you go you've got to go out there and actually look and see what's going on around you okay it makes it more exciting i suppose that's only on some missions though isn't it yeah generally yeah you know you not all of the missions are gung-ho and like i said it's 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 quite nice in the way it plays out in the different scenarios so and how you approach those is given you are given a bit of freedom and how you do them but there is there does tend to be kind of one way to do them all even though you can go around the edges chances are you're going to end up having to you know missile as much many ships as you possibly can but yeah you're right it's not always reliant on that particular thing it just seemed odd that that was there and there wasn't other options or wider options generally so i think they've clearly tried to blend a more arcade approach into a naval simulator it's no bad thing um in the vein of epics is you know classic destroyer and it does kind of work if you go with it the game comes with no surprise here an extensive manual with lots of information about hydrofoils i know more about hydrofoils now than i ever thought possible <laughs> Um, I, thought, I thought they were shaving things before I, before I knew they were boats for blowing stuff up with. And there's detailed descriptions of all the various things you encounter in this ship's missiles, helicopters and things like that. Yeah, there's razors in there as well. <laughs> no, shaving things. I forgot the word. Razors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Terrible. What are you doing? I'm using my shaving thing. <laughs> I'm using my shaving stick. <laughs> to get to get rid of the uh, stuff on my face. Yeah, my face, my face hair remover. <laughs> So, you know, there's, the manual is very thorough. I'm not going to go too far into it, but I think it was a good manual, actually. It was enough detail to be interesting, but not so much that you felt kind of overwhelmed with options. And that meant that the controls, I felt, were pretty simple. And once you get used to how it works, uh, you can get some really good sea battles going in this. The sounds are as you would expect something like this to be in a game of this type. So booms, bangs, alarm sounds, general naval battle soundscapes is how I've pegged that. Nothing to complain about there. Each scenario is a separate load. It's across, I think, two discs, two and a half discs. I'm not sure, but either way, or three discs, two discs, I think. And they do take a while to load. But once you know the controls, you get a feel for how all of this works and plays out. And you start to get a real sort of sense of how this game is going to work. And it doesn't take long to be able to grasp the controls for this, really. Once you know how to play the game and how to maneuver your ship around and target things, it's actually quite a nice battle game. I think critically, this might get too samey for some, I think. And in mm-hmm. fact, that was the, one of the main criticisms from the old zappers. And I guess that they do have a point because the missions do all kind of play out in the same way through the same views and yeah. generally speaking the same. And that might not be everyone's cup of tea. It is samey and the missions do all kind of feel the same. The battles do all sort of take that sort of thing, that sort of view, and it, you might tire of that. But if you're like me and you quite like naval sims with some action, then it just means you get to play out the scenarios and they do get really tough and that you do want to replay them. But it is, it does speak to a specific kind of person that likes that kind of thing, as with a lot of things. So I personally, I quite enjoyed this. It's a niche idea, given the type of ship you're in command of. You know, if someone's, when they were pitching a game idea and someone said, we want to put, make a game about a hydrofoil, we'd have been well, like, this, what's this a hydrofoil? Second, isn't this the second game in two weeks we've had about hydrofoils? Was a gunboat a hydrofoil as well? Uh, it might have been. I don't know. It's hard to tell what that was, really. It, it is hard, but I'm pretty sure that was a hydrofoil as well. So it could wait, have been. Wait Maybe games it was just hydrofoils, and then two come along at once. <laughs> it's quite possible. Um, I don't count the other one as a game, really, because it was so dog egg. <laughs> it really but this, was. But this one, this one is pretty good. So I enjoyed it. It is niche. You know, the old, you know, let's make a hydrofoil game. Okay. Um, do you know of any? Yeah, I know loads. You know, there's a, and I didn't realize there were so many hydrofoil ships. To be fair, this is the, the episode of niche interest. It, it is a bit. And I think it lends itself to the, it does lend itself to the action battles. The idea of that faster ship is good because 
that means it, it does speed things up. The game isn't slow. It's not terribly slow. It's not amazingly fast, but it does have the ability to speed and slow it down. And, and there's some nice t- touches to this. Now, I'd never, ever played this game before in my life, before this podcast. I didn't even know of its existence. But I found this, for me, to be quite a fun experience and a fairly simple to get into sim action naval simulation game. Um, so I got to grips with it pretty quick and I had quite a good time with this. I explored all but one of the missions, went through, didn't complete them all the in the way I wanted to. I completed the first two, I think. Uh, not the not the two straight, you know, the training ones, the actual first two missions. And I was playing the... the, the um, the one where you've got to do the escort the vehicle, escort the vehicle, uh, escort the sort of cargo ships and all of that. I was playing those ones for quite a while. The, the, I find those really, really interesting when you're controlling the entire fleet and stuff. They could have added a bit more to it, maybe. I think it is missing a view, a weapons view. I think that is probably the one thing I would have added to it. And maybe they could have made it, given it a bit more variety. I don't know. I quite like the fact that it did what it did, but I haven't paid money for it. I think it came in at nine ninety nine as well, which isn't a bad price. I don't know if that's tape price or it's even cassette a tape version. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm on cassette, I think, but they have just one big load for the scenario. So I think it wouldn't be such a testing thing as opposed to lots of little loads or anything like that. I, I liked it. I liked it. It got 71% in Zap. And I'd actually say that's probably about right given that there's the longevity may be questionable unless you like this kind of thing. And I still think, feel like it's missing a view and it's not as good as the destroyer by Epic still, but it's not a bad old, not a bad old game at all. I quite enjoyed it. Um, but what about you? Um, I think this is more in your wheelhouse than mine or your ship's wheelhouse. Should we say, I thought it's a strange game a little bit. It's, it, 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 it sort of flatters to sort of overwhelm at the beginning. It seems like there's a lot going, it seems like there's going to be a lot to it. But once you're actually playing it and you have the controls and you've got your head around the controls and you know there's there's useful there's useful shortcuts like you said the shift R speeding up slowing down time there's some nice player affordance going on so th- there's you know th- for those kind of things because you know like you said it plays out in almost real time so being able to just speed up and you know, to get to the action bits is quite good I don't know I just felt like there wasn't a lot there's not a lot of I think I fell foul of that repetition that, that feeling like it was just doing the same things over and over if as you noted it feels like a simplified version of Destroyer that we played ages ago only t- you know there's only two screens to flick between and i found myself just going to the map screen pointing to a place where i wanted to go engaging the autopilot speeding stuff up waiting seeing if i would found something blowing it up yeah yeah that was you know that was it the variety of missions as you have noted is somewhat jingoistic in this day and age and it probably doesn't hold up to analysis today but i just i don't know i found that it just wasn't a lot of interesting stuff to do maybe i know you know i think your mileage may vary on whether you enjoy boats and that kind of yeah i think it's stuff. totally you've got to be and into so, that kind of thing yeah a little, and it's not my yeah it's just not most things aren't for me i didn't mind it i can see that it's quite an interesting game you spend a lot of time i just spent a lot of time listening to an engine sound hoping to come across a white dot on the map before heading towards it and blowing up there's a, it's kind of there's quite an interesting idea to it because like in the fact of like a lot of the time like what i can't remember the one at first one of the first ones i played or which ones i played but it was just like right uh i think it was a terrorist attack and they'd legged it off into the sea yeah that's right and you just that's it you're like where are they gone? You just got to kind of beetle about and try and find stuff. That's what, that's what yeah, I found. They've headed south. You've got to know your maps a bit, haven't you? Well, I know which way south is, but I went east and still found them. I don't know. Maybe I was blowing people up. I shouldn't have been blowing up. I don't know. It's technically proficient. The loading's pretty snappy, I thought compared to some we've seen and we've seen some slow loaders and the do the different locations which you you know you fight your battles in is is lends it some variety but i would have liked to seen a bit more variety you know blue sea is blue sea and ships in your binoculars there's different ways and become i thought it got repetitive quite quickly so i said that weapons view would have been better wouldn't it to just combine those into one view yeah just so you something. had a, big, a bigger view of the action would have been watching cannons shoot or the missiles being launched at things. I think it would have just added a dynamic yeah. that it didn't have. 
I mean, one of the, the interesting, the nice things I had is that you could target your own missiles. <laughs> so you could, so in the little view at the top, you could watch your missiles heading towards their uh, targets. Yeah, and that would have been quite good if you, the target appeared. But you know, and, and it's quite well watching them blow up. But there's some nice touches to this. It just didn't hold my interest for very long because I just found it just got a bit bit samey. Uh, maybe there is some, you know, I think, you know, you've obviously got into it a lot more than I have and the variety in the missions just sound quite interesting. And maybe that's my fault for not giving it enough of a chance. But I, I played through a few and I just felt I was doing the same thing over and over again, but in different locations. Well, telling me I was in different locations, but Blue Sea is Blue yeah. Sea. You know, it's what we've said about some of the fl- flight sims. It's like, yeah, I might be flying over different places, but Greenland is Greenland. No, no, I quite agree. And I think there's little things they could have added that would have added, you know, a little bit of speech maybe like um, Desert Fox. Just little things like that. Yeah. They do add up to uh, you know, uh, scanning for sonar and yeah. submarines. Just things like that. A little bit of little stuff, stuff like that, do make a difference to these things. But without those, like you say, giant squid again, that would have added a bit of science a little fiction. Bit of science it? fiction, yeah, uh, all that kind of thing would have helped. But it's okay. I mean, it got like I said, seven That's about right for me. I can see this is yeah, quite I, clever, I quite clever, and there's some nice, there's some nice bits to it, um, and there's some nice ideas and some nice touches around it. But I just think that. Just those two screens could get a bit samey quite quickly. You're not you're left looking at very similar things with not that much happening in them mm. um, yeah, for, yeah, too, yeah. for too long. That. But there you go. But it's all right. It's not terrible. It's one of the better ones of these kind of things we have played. But yeah, I, mm. I think I prefer my these kind of things more along your um, Ace of Aces, Desert Fox style. I think yeah. I think that's where I find myself. But more arcadey, I guess. There we go. PHM. Pegasus. All right, it's not bad. Let's move on because we've got a couple more left this uh, section um, and we'll get into our next one. Uh, next one up is we're back in arcade conversion territory. Uh, this is the 1986 game Rygar. Uh, this finally gets the home computer treatment. Uh, so Rygar, what is Rygar? It was originally created by Tecmo, and it was released for arcades in Japan as Argos no Senshi. There you go. Mm. Which I believe, if my uh, Japanese is correct, means the warrior of Argos. Or uh, sandwich with no cheese. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, the plot for the game in the arcade is as follows. So 4.5... This is the actual text that comes on at the start of the screen when you play start playing the game. 4.5 billion years have passed since Earth's creation. Many dominators have ruled in all their glory, but time was their greatest enemy, and it defeated their reign. And now a new dominator's reign begins. It sounds like like the starts of gladiators, but hey-ho. Or Matrix. Or the Matrix, yeah. In the arcade version story, though, the year is 19xx. It's not specified. It sees the rise of dread creatures not seen since before the common era. (laughs) And they're led by Ligar. Dominating the world, Ligar and his forces oppress humanity. The only thing that preserves humanity's will to survive is a prophecy that Ligar's rule will be opposed by the return of a long-dead warrior of Argos. It says Argos, so you know, it's like the laminated book of dreams he's going to produce. Uh... <laughs> Warriors of Argos, assemble. <laughs> Bring your small pens. <laughs> oh, dear. And your flat pack, flat pack swords, which you must assemble. And your, and your your small shields. Oh, sorry, they're out of stock. They'll be uh-huh. here next week. Uh, that warrior does return, though, to the world of the living, and he alone can save humanity. There you go. Now, interestingly, you play as the legend, the legendary warrior, and Rygar 
actually means the same as Ligar because they come from the same Japanese character. Right and Lie mean the same thing. Um, so the guy, the game is actually named after the bad guy and not you. I always thought you were Rygar, but you're not. Rygar is the, that. Rygar's the bad guy, supposedly. Uh, you are just the legendary warrior. There you go. Turns out I had been lied to by my album covers for all this time. <laughs> anyway, games are 2D, bi-directional scrolling, kung fu, fighter, green beret, ghost and goblins, wonder boy style affair. It's one of those. It's a classic arcade, legend of cage. It's that sort of, you know, left to right scroller where stuff happens and you kill stuff you play the legendary warrior you run from left to right mostly you can go back though if you wish um instead of knives or other stabbing weapons you have a massive bladed yo-yo which you fling at enemies to kill them and you can do this in two ways running left to right and pressing the fire launches the yo-yo in front of you uh stand still and push up and fire and you'll spin it in a wide circle above your head to take out any evildoers who may be in the air above you it's kind of like spin it in an arc like a like 180 degree arc from right in front of you to behind you right across dead it kills everything cool you can also jump uh and landing on enemies stuns them ready for yo-yo killing i like this phrase yo-yo killing more things should be killed by yo-yos there are boulders you can smash which give power-ups they're either immediate or permanent effects there are five of them to collect to increase the power of your smashy yo-yo your five lives and a timer for each level getting to the end of the level sees you awarded bonus points for how much time is left but you begin the next one and so on and so on it's an arcade game you know you progress through ever increasingly tricky levels ghost and goblin style green beret style it's that you know this is what it is the arcade game it had 27 stages to fight through i think whilst a quick count through the c64 i didn't get through them all but i had a look on youtube that has 16 okay so it's a condensed version of the arcade in length we're missing 11 sections here and the problem is it's a condensed version in just about every other way as well the visuals are pretty simple but very simple the scrolling is nice and smooth i'll give it that even if there's a raster glitch on the landscape, slightly bit in the bottom left-hand corner, the sprites are recognisable as approximations of the arcade versions if you squint a bit. But the main problem for me, your your weapon is now just a sprite that fires out rather than being on a chain. In in Rygar, the arcade, you, you you have a yo-yo. It's a big big steel like a glaive. It's a big ball, spiky ball on a yo-yo. It fires out and comes back to you. When you swing it around, it goes all the way around and comes back to you. Here, it just goes out. It doesn't, you know, it just fires out and then disappears when it's at its end length. So it doesn't even come back to you. So it doesn't feel like it is one weapon. It just feels like you're firing out projectiles. And that, to me, loses a lot of the appeal of the arcade game. I really like the arcade game. Rygar's always been one of my favorite arcade games. I'll just, there's something about it. It's that bassy rhythm. There's something weirdly odd about Rygar and its whole styling and weirdness and oddness about it. But mostly it's that smashy bloody yo-yo. I love wielding that thing and flinging it out, getting it back, hanging it around ace i loved it and so to lose that and not even have an approximation of it it just feels like you're just firing something out it's like oh well this is just fight shooting stuff now felt like that i don't know what was that what, that thundercats game as well it's, it's similar you know those kind of yeah, things. yeah 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 now it's turned it it's reduced it to that which is not rygar for me uh the backgrounds have also taken a huge hit um they're all nicely painted in the in the arcade. They're all mountains and you know cool cool stuff going on in the background. Volcanoes and all because now they're just plain old blue or black. Kind of what we saw with uh, Wonder Boy as yeah. well. So they're just not bothered. And we we know they can bother. You know the one good thing we said about Athena was its nice backdrops, which looked like the arcade game. Yeah. So they they could, they could, Green if you look at Green Bright, I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit. But you know, so there's none of the mountains, none of that. It's all the atmosphere is lost. You know, the world in which this takes place. It's just some foreground graphics of trees and stuff. Not great. The music by David Whitaker. It's, it's an okay version of the arcade machine, but nothing to raise over. Although uh, I did like the high score tune. 
That's a really nice piece of yeah, housekeeping. Good. They've yeah. got two good high score tunes this episode. This is the first of them. It's nice. And uh, the presentation of the title screen leaves a lot to be desired. I had a look at both the Spectrum and the Amstrad versions. They actually cut to a different screen to bring up the text of that, you know, you know, youngs ago dominators and all that sort of thing. Here, the 60 version doesn't do that. It just simply puts the text on the title screen between the UI at the top and the bottom feels very cheap and demonstrates yeah. a lack oh, of effort. It, st- to... it starts counting down as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, no yeah. Oh. I put that. Elderly, the title screen has the timer on it running down, which gets to zero. Nothing happens. So it's just like they, they just left the UI on the title screen. They're just not bothered to have a title. It's just like, we're not going to, we're not going to turn them off. Just leave them on. Not your favorite thing, that is it? No, I don't like that. It's just, it just speaks of late. I mean, don't, don't do it on the Spectrum and the Amstrad version. So it's not like it can't be done. We've seen loads of get, you know. Oh, no. Don't do that. It's rubbish. I don't understand it. As conversions go, it's not terrible. Okay. But, you know, it's not terrible. It plays okay. It's a little twitchy. It feels like Aldi Rygar. And you also have five lives, but there are only three on the UI. <laughs> which is weird. Stupid. So they don't start disappearing until you've lost the third one. And, you know, why? Because why? they have little three little pictures, you know, three live things, but you lose your first life and nothing happens. You lose your second life, nothing happens. You said one disappears. You're like, where's the other two? Like they couldn't be bothered to fit in three, li- five lives on there or just write lives times five, which would be the simpler thing to do. Uh, it's details like that. And the bland visual representation that marked this out was something that they just wanted out the door with all the other versions. I like Rygar. I mean, I love Rygar in the arcade. I really do. I pumped a lot of money into Rygar. It was always a go-to for me. Going to the arcade would, would involve a couple of games of Rygar. I never got very far on it, but there was always something about it. There was an atmosphere to it. There was a feel to it. It was different. It felt different, and I always liked it. Um, and so this, to me, is a shame because, you know, we, we issue 16, if we go back to issue 16, Green Beret, two years old at this point, and it shows what can be done with these convert. Con- what can be done with these conversions if you give it a little care and attention. Now, there's nothing in this that Green Beret couldn't do, that didn't do, and didn't do a lot better backgrounds graphics sprites play everything's better you know and the the main thing is they've removed the smashy yo-yo i don't know if that's the right name for it but they've <laughs> removed the smashy yo-yo and that makes me really sad because that's rygar it's the thing he's on the he's, he's on the advert for it there's rygar surrounded by thing. he's flinging out his big old smashy yo-yo and so for me the removal of that renders this not rygar it's rygar in you know it's a game that was so supposed to be resembling it but it's not it's missed the, the main point of it for me and that's a shame. So it's okay. I can't, meh. I wouldn't recommend this to anyone, though. It got 50-odd percent, which I think is generous, 57. It's maybe the 40s for me, but there you go. What about you? Did you like it? I didn't have a lot of familiarity with the arcade, I'll be honest. So, I, I mean, I, and I took a swift look at on YouTube at it, and I thought, okay, it does actually look like my kind of thing as well. So I probably have played it at some point. I, it's not particularly memorable, and that's not because it's not a good game. It's just because it's it looks like a lot of other games of that type, but it does look quite good. Simple run and gun, platforms, aliens, you know, killer yo-yos. What's not to like about that? It's all the arcade, though, isn't it? C64 version, well, things didn't go quite to plan, did they? No. So the graphics, I thought, were small and not well drawn. <laughs> they're a bit They're a bit my first game graphics, aren't they? Yeah, they're a bit squat. They're a bit squat. Considering the main sprite in the arcade is quite tall, this is kind of a... It's like the same height as the sort of sprites you get in Ghosts and Goblins, which is kind of small. All right, maybe it's just done for trying to keep the sprites under the sort of limits of hardware. I don't know. Anyway, so all the main sprites in it are small. They're all smaller versions. It's like it's been miniaturized. It's all less defined as well. But the, I think, collectively, I think it had all of the enemy types, I think. I think I so, see. yeah, yeah. yeah they're just kind of all smaller, not as good versions. Like you're saying, it's like the Aldi versions of them all. You're under constant attack, I suppose, like the arcade. But as you rightly point out, the benefit of you having a wonder weapon is that you can go to battle with that wonder weapon. Without that, 
you're just kind of shooting at things. And it felt very like a really miniature version of Trantor in that respect. And you were just kind of shooting out. It didn't look like a yo-yo. And I thought that was the whole point, like you say. One touch of anything seemed to kill you as well, which is very unnerving in a game like this. Because That's the same as the arcade. So yeah, I mean, that's yeah, what, it, it, what no, these I, games I get, are. I, I get that, but in the arcade, you've, you're benefiting from having a weapon that would help you. Yes. you know, without that, you, you find yourself trapped into quick situations that you have literally no time to respond because the, the response time in the controls isn't great. I'll come back to that in a minute, though. So it's smaller, blockier. It has the basic Rygar ingredients, I guess. And you're against the clock, So, and you've got some in-game music, and the death music, as you say, was good. I didn't get title music. Does the title screen not have any, or is that a bug in no, my version? No, I, didn't have I didn't any, think so, I had so. any. So it just felt like when you died, it would sort of almost reset. Um, mm. And, and the, the main problem I had was the, the controls for this. I mean, aside from the graphics and everything else, okay, I get it. You're on a C64, you're not on an arcade. And so they've done a, an approximation of that. All right, I know. I, for the same reasons I should, I would like, I, sh- I like Ghost Goblins on the C64, even with its limitations, I should by proxy like this for those and you know and give it the same the same time of day because it's just you know a smaller version but the controls here are really weird not only are they a little under responsive i found that you couldn't jump diagonally and use your weapon at the same time now i don't know if that's a thing that's in the arcade i don't think it is it's not something i don't, that I I don't think it can be because when i jumped and jumped diagonally and tried to do my yo-yo or such as it was it just stopped midair and mm-hmm. then sort of and, and he froze in the y-axis and then just dropped straight down which led to me dying loads of times unnecessarily, either landing on something or not be, or landing in an unfortunate situation or down a hole or whatever. And I found that really, really annoying because that's a, it's such an inconsistent thing to apply to the controls. I should be able to just jump at an angle and just use my weaponry. It should not stop me midair. I thought that was terrible. And as the enemies are kind of constant one touch, it just, it, for this, really, if you're going to limit your ability with the weaponry, you need to give the player some kind of energy or something like that. It would have deviated from the arcade too much, I get that, but because you've you've altered the balance of the arcade by reducing the weaponry and reducing its power, and then you've also altered the controls, you've fundamentally altered the design dynamics of this game to a point when the balance is completely out. Mm-hmm. So... It's now in favour of the enemies. You don't stand a chance, really, in this. And I found it really, really overly hard. Um, I'd like to play the arcade. I'll probably get Maim and play it at some point to see how I fare on that. But I found this, because of that, a fairly unpleasant experience. I didn't feel like I could do the things I should be able to do, and I didn't feel like I had the weapons I was promised. And because of those things, it was just an unfortunately unenjoyable experience all said and done. I suppose what I would say as a final hurrah is it had the 8-bit competent markings. It, It was kind of there for them. But it was scotched at some point by just cheap decisions and cheap programming logic to just get the thing out the door, I guess. I guess they probably rushed, I guess. I don't know. Who knows? But nah. What a shame. What a shame. This could have been, this could easily have been a really good little game. The Commodore 64, as you rightly point out, more than capable of delivering this. Mm. But they know, they did, they know, they scotched it. So no, what a shame. 57% generous, as you say. For a full price game, when it's in half-assed conversion, it's in the twenties for me. This one, it's a stinker, really. Not very really good. Yeah, not very really good. I at mean, all. it's it's not very long. We're 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 not too far away from you, Jaggy Jimbo, at this point. Yeah, and, things, yeah. and even things like you know, Fist Two and stuff show that these kind of things can be big, scrolling worlds and landscapes can be done. They can be done. Yep, absolutely, they can. But not here. Not no, here. Not like this. C- certainly not. Not like that. Anyway, there you go. That's Rygar. Disappointment for me. I like Rygar, but not like this. Let's move along. We've got one more of this section. We'll get into it. (laughs) 
carrying on. Well, it's, it's niche over here, I guess this was. Superstar Ice Hockey, Graham. Here Superstar we go. Ice Hockey. Here we go. <laughs> Ed Ringler. Daniel Lucas. Simon Finch. Here we go. Um, that isn't anything to do with the music in this at all. Um, uh, the musician here is actually John A. Fitzpatrick. This is Ed Ringler. Ringler. Isn't he a baddie in Tron? The, the new Tron movie, the latest Tron movie, it was like rin, rinse. Do you know what that new Tron movie? I got twenty five minutes into it and turned it off. Yeah, it's it, I can't what the baddies called. It's it's really weird that anyway, it was it was matter. um it was Jeff uh, Jeff well, Jeff Bridges's young face that made me just turn it off. <laughs> that was the, affected the technology it, at that point. No, it was the, the Uncanny Valley stepped in and was slapped you across the face and it's like <laughs> stupid looking. No, I, I, no, I'm not going to go into a full-blown Tron, whatever Tron it's Legacy. called, review, Tron Legacy review, but Ringler does remind me of the, the name of the baddie in it. Anyway. <laughs> Ringler. Uh, Ringler. Um, anyway, so this is from the people that made Superstar Ping Pong. Here we go. Doom, doom, doom. Hey, girl. <laughs> no, I'll not keep doing that. And Indoor Sports. You remember Indoor Sports, Aid? Hey? You liked that, didn't we? You remember I that? I did. Here we go. <laughs> hey, boy. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so the superstar team is back from their previous ping pong and indoor sports adventures. And as usual, this game is replete. Well, usual for them, replete with a billion options. This is a heavily option-driven game. There's so much to think about in this game. It's stupid, anyway. <laughs> so much. So much. Um, at its essence, this is obviously an ice hockey game, right? And here you can play single or two-player practice games. You can play a full ice hockey league, including all four divisions, and a final trophy, and full team management. There is loads and I mean loads here in this game, loads. Mm-hmm. You can compete in regular leagues, divisional championships, conference championships, and even compete for the Sport Time Cup. There's a lot crammed into this. Right? So you can um, specify in league games the team colours and the strip that you want to play in, the match length, whether you have a CPU goalie or a coach or a centre, or you know you can choose variations of those. Your view of the match is actually well-realised. It's a kind of side-scrolling Forced perspective, but side-scrolling, horizontal side-scrolling sort of affair, which obviously scrolls left and right and follows you around as you skate around. And all, well, most of the rules of ice hockey apply here, the ones that are logistically possible to apply. For those that aren't sure, in ice hockey, teams are made of five skaters and the goalie. You must pass the hockey puck between your players uh, and the with the aim of getting the hockey puck completely behind the goal line and into the goal, your opposing team's goal. Games are usually for 30 minutes straight with a countdown timer, so teams must score as many goals past their opponents in that time. Slap shots, that are shots that are taken from above the waist, are not allowed in ice hockey. Not you'd know. Neither is body checking, which is basically ramming into people and doing tripping them up and things. Again, not that you'd know. Officially, they're not allowed. Um, and you can also be offside, and you can in this game as well, if you switch, if you play that rule, because you can switch some of these things on and off, which is where any member of the attacking team precedes the puck over the defending team's blue line. Um, If you do that, you're offside and you're going to get a penalty. Um, So in the actual game, you get varying different timing penalties for these. So you get a 90-second penalty for minor faults, which is tripping, holding, interference, and slap shots for major penalties, which is actually five minutes in the sin bin, as they call it, or you get sent off essentially for a short time. That's for body checking, spearing, flagrant, uh, blatant fouls and butt ending. I don't even want to know what that is. Um, <laughs> I think that's hitting them with the uh, butt of your stick. The butt end, I guess. For misconduct penalties, you get 10 minutes in the old sin bin. That's abusive language, disrespect to the officials, that kind of thing. And you get automatic ejection if you start throwing things around and, and doing stuff that's been fighting and then generally doing stupid stuff. Now, the whole thematic of ice hockey is that this is a frantic, mad, fast thing. I've been to a few ice hockey matches in my time and it is yet quite exciting to watch as a as an audience-led sport, it's really exciting. The way they do it, I was in Canada when I saw some ice hockey, and I can tell you that it's, not only is it taken very seriously, they're rightly so, 
but it is I think it's their national sport but it is also frantic production it's amazing to be at that experience it really is it's in a way we don't generally really appreciate ice hockey here we do there is loads of leagues and teams in the UK and it's all very popular but I know that's where I saw it so that's based on my experience of it being super exciting so the game plays a version of those rules so if you commit an offence you get sent to the sim bin but which is the kind of the equivalent of the naughty step in this game you get sent for 30 seconds in this I think that's not to hamper the if you don't play for a full 30 minutes, I don't think. I don't know if you could set it that high for a game. You might be able to. I didn't. You can set it for shorter time periods than that. Outside of the actual playing of the game on the ice, you can coach the team. And that actually involves opting for timeouts, choosing the offensive defensive plays, substitutions, and all that kind of stuff. If that's if you've not chosen Robo, you know, Robo coach. Um, <laughs> um, when you're not playing the game itself, when you're not actually in a physical ice hockey game, you can manage the team, which means selection, recruiting, trading players, training. It is really, really, really involved. All of this is driven by fairly rudimentary, lots of text-heavy menus and things like that with joysticks either either used in a kind of up-down to select the option and right-left to select the parameters, that kind of thing. Or some of them have got like a little pointer that you can move around and select and click on things to do with, with the fire button. So either of those. It's not, it's not going to present you with any challenge to control the menus of all of this. The challenge is that you've got to know how to how ice hockey works because if you don't, you're just going to be clicking and doing random stuff and not really getting into it. Okay, so you're presented throughout the game with a whole bunch of options pretty much all the time. And of course, you can save your team, which is kind of nice. Pretty much most of the controls, like I said, are via the joystick, which is again, up, down, left, right, move the points type stuff. It feels like this game was put together by someone with a real love of ice hockey. They really knew what would motivate someone who likes ice hockey in an ice hockey environment type game. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. So whether you're managing the team or playing the game, to get the most out of this, you would need a, a little bit of a passion for ice hockey. You need to know what you're doing. Um, you can go at this and just go and have a practice and just have a bit of a you know a, a, a match if you want to. But this is a very, very in-depth simulation and game environment. That might sound a little bit glib to say, well, you know, to really enjoy this, you've got to be into ice hockey. A, a game called ice hockey, you, know, you need to be into ice hockey. There's no doubt about that. But it's not glib because this really <laughs> is a game that is fundamentally, if you if you were into something else and just found yourself playing this, I don't know how much mileage you're going to get out of it in terms of it matching the simulation and the controls of the team parts and the leagues part. I don't know how excited you're going to get about trying to move through divisions or something like that. I don't know. So to see it as an arcade style game on its own would be a mistake because it's not that. The ice skating game itself, when you're actually playing the actual ice skating, I think it looks pretty good and it plays, plays pretty fast and, it's, and it's, it controls quite nicely. You can actually control a single player in that. So you control the center, which you can choose to be CPU or the goalie or both if you want to control two players. But essentially, you control one player, and the view of that player you control is always the one you're going to see, and that actually feels quite nice. However, um, you have to know how to play positionally in terms of how ice hockey works. If you don't, <laughs> you are just going to be playing chase the hockey puck around. So, And it takes a while. It's going to take you a while to get in around that, so otherwise you're just going to skate around and not quite know, never really be near the puck and never really get past to because the CPU does, you know, there is quite an interesting and quite um, quite a decent CPU AI in this, in that the, when you're playing as a team, and there's only a small team on there, you do get past two and, and it is it does feel like you're part of a team. That's clever how they've done that. But I was probably the worst member of that team because I was just kind of skating around. You know, I knocked somebody over by accident, got committed loads of fouls, never just trying to get to the puck, which always seemed to be two or three steps ahead of where I was aiming to be. I don't quite know why. I, mean, I just I guess I'm just not into ice hockey enough to really understand the dynamics of it. So it looked nice. It controlled okay. The camera and the, the scrolling is all good. I got a bit lost playing it between passing around and not quite knowing what I was meant to be or doing or where I was meant to be for the best placement for that particular player. 
the AI, as I say, does feel intuitive, but it can also feel like you're just kind of, you know, you're following a puck around and you don't really have a purpose that the game would happily continue and play out without you really being involved. So I think the more you play it, the better you'd get at controlling it. I think that's that's a given. As a sports sim, I think it's pretty good, this. And it's certainly one, obviously, for ice hockey fans. I don't know that there's much mileage for anyone else at all, because if you really like divisional mm-hmm. league management of ice hockey teams and playing ice hockey games, you're going to dig this. But if you want to go out, you know, shoot stuff, less so. So I, I, I think if you if you are an ice hockey fan, you're going to see this as a good thing. If you're not, I don't think you're going to you're going to bypass this and write it off as perhaps too much. Um, I'm not a huge fan of ice hockey, but this game did contain some interesting stuff, and I get all that. But this is not a game for a casual player. This is not a game you could just casually roll in and out of. It's just not designed for that. So you can do it if you want, I suppose. If that's, but you're not going to get much out of it, really. To get the most out of this, you need to a love ice hockey and b really love ice hockey. You do, <laughs> if, you, if you like those two things, if you're an A and B player of this, I think you're going to really dig it. For everyone else, where well, you wouldn't pay for it. The final hurrah there is it's pretty pricey, isn't it? Um, for it, what it is. It's not is, the most yeah. expensive one we come across in this particular episode, but it is quite pricey that. What did it's you disc, think? It's disc only. Yeah, yeah. Know, 15 no... quid, maybe that's about right for disc, I don't know, yeah. but it's, you know, niche. It's niche. It is. <laughs> Second of the niche niche entries. Another imp- it's a, yeah, it's an impressive and in-depth sports sim, exactly as you rightly said, in the well we've seen before from these guys. I can't fault the presentation and the depth in this release but you really need to be into ice hockey to get the most out of it and understand the wealth of terms and references that are on display here. It reminded me a bit of that water polo game we played. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Because technically that, that was very good. And all you all you would want as a water polo fan was there, but you really had to be a water polo fan to get anything out of it. And I think that's the same here. I just, I'm not. So the in-game visuals are nice and fast. I kept losing my player because it followed the, yeah, it followed yeah, the puck. And I, was like, I was like, where's my player? He's just... <laughs> skated off uh, so I didn't know who I was controlling um, and my goalie uh, you could control him but I chose not to I thought it'd be alright he was rubbish you just kept throwing the, the puck back to their team all the time yeah, just kept bobbing out going, bleh, bleh, bleh. I was like stop it <laughs> I'm trying to get near it oh yeah it was annoying um, the controls are okay they take a little bit of getting used to the way you pass and you can fake the passes and you can fake your shots and all that kind of thing. There's a lot in there, but it's it's tricky. Um, but you can kind of get used to it. it. Just like I said, it reminded me of the way that water polo game played and the way you have to press fire at the right time and let go and do all that. There's a yeah, lot of yeah, you know, yeah. nuance, not a nuance, but you've got very short space of time to do all that. So it wasn't for me. I want you know, it got it. It's I just put most of the issues to this, me knowing nothing about ice hockey. I reckon if I did, I reckon this would be great, but I don't. So <laughs> all I could do is shrug. Yeah. I'd wonder if I just go and watch Slapshot with Paul Newman again. That's yeah. what I think I should have done. Um, because I'm probably going to get more out of that than I am out of this. And that's yeah. not to say this is bad. It's just to say that this is for ice hockey fans. Yeah. And I'm not an ice hockey fan in any way, shape or form. So it deserves its probably score, 85%. Yeah, absolutely. But it ain't for me. <laughs> it never will be. No. And you made a, you made a good point when we were chatting about this um, previously, saying if you change the colour of the, uh, the, the rink, change the colour of it and take away the sticks you could probably easily make a football game out of this um or something like I think that i think they do i think there's one they, coming they do don't they yes the gary lineker one i think is yeah because yeah, um, that was actually superstar soccer i think and then it got its name changed to gary lineker's uh, superstar soccer which is this it looked to me like this game but with football well. yeah yeah that's what i thought as well so mm. i think we're going to see this but with uh, different colored trousers on coming up i think we i think gary lineker's is coming up actually so there we go we've also got peter beardsley to look forward to as well they're all yeah. in the football stuff later that oh, month, peter right? beardsley <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Denver Broncos. <laughs> I think it's okay. I think they're okay. I think uh, it's pretty good. You just don't know, Marge. Oh, Marge you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want some cream with that? 
no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, there we go. That's our first lot of games. That's four we've got to. God, that's a long half. That's a long part. Even four yeah. games we talked for hours. Pretty in-depth games in there, though. Pegasus uh, there, was a biggie, wasn't it? There was. Pegasus and that last one. Yeah, they were all good. So there we go. We're going to go away, take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be looking at what was going on in TV in January 1988. New year, new time. Things were changing. Let's get into that in a minute. So we'll see you in a bit. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Growing up in the 80s is a chore for Sarah, who feels misunderstood by her parents and badgered by Reese, her bothersome brother who incessantly prattles on about his treasured computer games. When Reese tells her one of the games tried to pull him inside the computer, she laughs off his fanciful fib. She waggles the joystick to disprove his fairy tale and is pulled into the computer. Now trapped in games she'd never had any interest in playing, how can she possibly beat them? With the help of feisty Nell, another trapped player, can Sarah find her way back home or is it game over? An evil madman, a hostile planet, bloodthirsty robots, a never-ending throng of karate experts and relentless digital soldiers will do their best to ensure Sarah never escapes. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, find out if there's a way out of the beige bread bin of betrayal for Sarah in Escape from the Commodore 64. And we are back, as ever. We are really back. January 1988. Like I said, it's a new year. Uh, it's a new year. It's a new dawn. It's a new life. Um, <laughs> and so, anyway, 1st of January, New Year's Day highlights on BBC One included the first network television showing of Roger Donaldson's historical drama, The Bounty. The Bounty, yeah. Oh, my God. We were made to watch that. I'm not surprised. This is what informs your love for PHM Pegasus and stuff, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, my dad was in the Navy for many, many, many years. My brother was in the Navy for many, many years. Merchant Navy. Um, or combinations, actually, of Royal and Merchant. So, What's the, di- is there a, what's the difference? Well, the Royal Navy is the war, go to war. The Merchant Navy is carry the, you know, carry stuff and shippings and that sort of thing. Cargo ships ah. and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So you have different. So HMS is Her Majesty's ship. RMS is the Royal Merchant Ship and that kind of thing. I've learned something new today. So anyway, we were there you know, when my dad had got wind that there was a mutiny on the bounty, which is, you know, a very famous naval drama in British naval history. And we were told, you know, with no uncertain terms that we were watching it. So I actually remember <laughs> watching that on that particular occasion. And I have to say, I mean, it's a great story. What was interesting about it was that my dad's affinities did not lie with Fletcher Christian in that particular story at all. Um, my dad was firmly on the side of Captain Bly and remained Bly. so to his dying day because he saw Fletcher Christian as a mutinous dog <laughs> and a criminal <laughs> well, who deserved to is. get hanged. Okay. Whereas Captain Captain Bly is portrayed in the movie and in portrayed in the historical context as a tyrant captain who mercilessly and and you know and through nothing but vi- you know vicious coercion controlled and manipulated his crew and tortured them and and did everything. No, to make their lives such a miserable thing that they mutinied. That is not actually wholly true. Captain Bly was actually just like every other captain in the British Royal Navy at that time. They were very elitist. They were very strict. 
the rules of, of and the commanding structure on those ships was absolutely ironclad, um, and they were seen as a captains and the and the first officers were seen as a completely different class of people to the to the various different people on side of that ship. And a good mm. a good film to watch outside of that particular film is uh, Master and Commander for, to see that exactly how that plays out in that particular context as well. But anyway, and obviously we all know the story of Captain Blind. He was mutinied by his crew because they felt that he was being cruel and nasty. And in the film, he's played by... Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say Hannibal Lecter, but that's a whole different kind of <laughs> the bounty. <laughs> yes, it would be. Uh... But it's played by steely-eyed Anthony Hopkins and Fletcher Christian is... eyed um, weepy-eyed eye. well oh, he's it, kind of steely weepy-eyed steely he's not so weepy eyed. in this one yeah it's more you know beady stares as instead of weepy eye steepy whereas, and you've got <laughs> you've got Fletcher Christian is Mel Gibson in this so who's, you know, who's dreamy-eyed yeah he's dreamy-eyed <laughs> and of course you know famously they they mutiny the captain and they go off and to Tahiti I think and sort of you know live Tahiti, their life yes. there and whereas the bounty of course and the he abandons Bly and a few of the crew that are loyal to him inside of a one of the uh, rowboats from the ship and just abandon him to, to sea with a few provisions. What is interesting is, and I won't go on and on about it, I probably already have, but a couple of interesting facts facts are that Captain Bly successfully, because he was given a sextant, some food, and I think there was, I forget how many crew were in abandoned in that rowboat. Yeah, there's a few. He, succe- he successfully navigated them back to shore safely, all of them. Is this them. a true story? It's a true story, yeah. Oh, right, okay. So Captain Bly successfully navigated those people in that boat with a sextant only, in a rowboat, which was abandoned at sea, kept them all alive, got them all back, navigated the back through Queensland. So we went through the Great Barrier Reef, nav- successfully navigated that in a rowboat with the crew, kept them alive and got them all to safety. After that, every single mutiny person who was involved in that mutiny was hunted down by the Royal Navy and hanged, all of them, every single one, no matter how long it took, no matter how far away they went, they found them all and hanged them all. Oh. Um, and it took years to track them down, but they did track every single one of them down, including Fletcher Christian and all the rest of them. Crazy, but that's the true fact, because it was such a crime to do that. Oh. So, but Captain Bly did keep those people. He promised he would keep them alive. He said, you're loyal to me. I will get you safety back to shore, and I will keep you alive, but you've got to do what I say. They did, and he did. So. Good good job. Um, it was on the bounty, wasn't it? And not like the Snickers. <laughs> or the Mars on the bar. bounty, yeah. Yeah, the, well, the bounty comes with two, doesn't it? So you've always got two to <laughs> two got back boats, up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it could have been a twirl. Oh, the, twirl, it, the, less, the, the lesser known but, but better, better tasting red bounty. Oh, the dark, that's the dark, the dark chocolate. Yeah, they also, they're like gold now. You can't find them. So he's a petrol stations only, I think. Anyway, yeah, so that's... Well, we, <laughs> it was, you know, about seven years old and out of date. <laughs> they never go out of date. Um, anyway, we've got a strong affinity for that. And my dad actually had made a model a proper sort of scale model of the bounty, um, one of those classic model kits, and he'd even done his own rigging with pr- little bits of sort of thin wire. It, it, honestly, it's a it, we had them on. We used to have a few of them around the house. He did, he was obsessed with that kind of naval tradition, which explains a great deal about him and also about the sort of the the, the way that we you know some of the things in our in our my yearly lives were sort of very navally based. You know, certain meals at certain times and all sorts of stuff. But fast, it's a fascinating film, definitely worth going back to, but very mm. over dramatized and very. Weepy-eyed, watery-eyed, blinky-eyed. <laughs> Dreamy-eyed. Dreamy-eyed, yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, we've covered this before, I'm sure we have. Whistle test, a five-hour whistle test special. We've talked about that. I'm sure we talked about that late in the last time we did TV uh, yeah, and Yeah, I think we did. I mean, the only the only thing I would note there is that I didn't realise it was cancelled by Janet Street Porter, so I didn't, I didn't realise she had that kind of power. Paul, well, she was head of... Uh, youth, like I said, youth programmes of BBC, yeah, won't you? Just, so. surpri- just surprised me, that. Yeah, well, you know, she always had it in for the whistle test. It was yeah, quite, she it was, did. It, it was well known around the streets of London at the time. Well, only because she couldn't blow whistles because of her teeth. 
I was just going to say she couldn't whistle. No, she okay. just bit the ends off. She pa- she pa- she failed the test. Can you whistle, Janet? <laughs> no, you can't, can you? You failed the test. Anyone put a whistle near her mouth, she just bit the end off. <laughs> and so, spat it at them. So many people walked them. around sort of thing with the top, tops of whistles in the, embedded so, in their forehead. And then she just swallowed the pee out of the whistle <laughs> to make sure it could never be whistled again. Absolutely. For this yeah, small yeah. whistle, no more. No more. <laughs> no more. Uh, Michael Grade, this is in January at some point, because he's going to do stuff from BBC One first, but Michael Grade <laughs> takes on the role of Chief Executive of Channel 4. He did, yes. Very important uh, decision, that wasn't it? Sex- it was. He accepted the post. He succeeded Jeremy Isaacs. Now, I mistakenly thought that was a different Jeremy Isaacs. I what, the actor? Was, yeah, totally, but it's not. I don't think. Could be. And he took his post up at the beginning of 1988, as you say. It was a decision that, which led Isaacs to criticise the appointment and to threaten to throttle Grade if the nature of the channel <laughs> was altered. So Grade immediately cancelled loads of shows. He cancelled loads of shows and immediately removed all highbrow shows and then was accused of dumbing down the channel. That's the first thing he did. That you'd be changing that channel, Grade. Okay. Cancel, 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 cancel. <laughs> Press the cancel, cancel button. <laughs> Bring on uh, the dumbing. <laughs> absolutely. As, as I've noted here, something. what grade would you give grade for his work on Channel 4? Well, I would say uh, an F. <laughs> Do better, shitbag. That was my feedback. That was my feedback. Absolutely. Um, it's been a while not, since I've given feedback, but that would be it. It's been it's been a while. I mean, I would come in there and go, you probably need to write some more. Um, you need to uh, <laughs> t- tell them why, you know, tell them what's not underpinning their work. Yeah. References. Where's your references? Where's your sources <laughs> for this? Absolutely. Wikipedia. It's not acceptable unless we use it. <laughs> Where's the lamb sauce <laughs> and all the other academic sources? <laughs> <laughs> Barbecue. <laughs> Tomato. Where's the sauces? Garlic and herb. <laughs> you sound like you've gone Terminator. You sound, like, you sound like a Terminator reading off a menu then. <laughs> Garlic, sauces, red, tomato. Give me your boots, your ketchup and your motorcycle. Oozy sauce. <laughs> hey, just what you see here, pal. Okay. <laughs> you just Ga- you, that was, you, you went full of knives and stabbing weapons then. <laughs> what, what, can it, what sauce have you got here? Ketchup and brown. <laughs> <laughs> red and no be red and brown red oh don't brown. say red sauce that is a <laughs> that is like a honestly that is properly like waving a flamethrower in my face <laughs> what red sauce don't say don't say red sauce it is tomato ketchup <laughs> not if it's relish no it, it, that's relish that's not red sauce red well, you know, blood blood is red sauce if you're going to look at the just color you can't just name sauces after their color <laughs> Brown sauce. No, that's HP it's by uh, definition. Brown sauce. You can't it's have HP, HP red sauce. No, you can't. It's HP ketchup. <laughs> it's catsup. <laughs> but it ain't. It's red sauce. I hate it. I hate it. I'm often asked that if I've been in a in a getting a bun from skeletons. Remember skeletons when there was a skeletons? Remember the woman said, Would you like red sauce? I went, No, I don't want red sauce. Don't want any of your bloody red sauces. I just you know what is it? It's actually if you've got ketchup, it's the same, isn't it? I went, no. Red sauce is just a derivative colour mixed with the word sauce. I want something that resembles a tomato. <laughs> I went mad at her. It got Absolutely. me thrown out as well. But I did, it did, you know, it was a lovely chip bun. Yeah. Just worry when someone offers you white sauce. I don't accept it. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not mayo. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of it in Aldi, I think. <laughs> I can't believe it's not mayo. What is it? You don't want to know. <laughs> uh, it's mayo-licious. It's mayolicious. Yeah. He's quite hard to squeeze out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but on purpose. Aye. Uh, ew. <laughs> ew. 
Let's move on quickly. Yeah, for uh, God's sake, move, Michael, move on. Michael, Michael Grade, Grade F. Uh, finally, from this day, presumably it's 1st January still, uh, each programme on ITV is no longer preceded by the identifier of the regional company that had produced the show. No more would you see the um, Thames Bridge, the Anglian Knights. and all that. The Tainties, the, the Y for Yorkshire <laughs> the, TV. The Anglian Knights sounds like a really crap cover band or something. <laughs> <laughs> the cover of the Baron Knights. I said a, ba- a Baron Knights cover, but that's niche, isn't it? I mean, we're going to niche <laughs> episode, but that's beyond niche. Isn't it? <laughs> Just we only play in uh, uh, pubs in Norwich. We are the Anglian Knights. <laughs> the Anglian Knights. <laughs> God, that is super niche, isn't it? <laughs> I don't even. Can, do you know a Baron Knight song? Because I can't think of it. <laughs> I don't know that they had songs. I thought they were just like a comedy act. Oh, were they? Okay, they covers yeah, band. I think so. I think so. Maybe that. Or, I don't know. I don't, I don't, okay. don't know what you do. And that's a that's a Wikipedia search. I'm not going to do. Oh, they could be like the Michael Knights <laughs> <laughs> on a lonely quest <laughs> to, to uh, play the pubs of oh, Norwich. The, I want to see a, a cover band, a cover band called the Michael Knights. <laughs> where they the all pub- dress like Michael Knight. <laughs> On keyboard, we have Michael Knight. (laughs) (laughs) On guitar, Michael Knight. (laughs) On drums, uh, Devon. (laughs) That's just brilliant. I love it. The idea of their album could be called Fortnite, couldn't it? Four Nights. (laughs) I love it. It could be. Anyway, 4th of January... Michael Grades at it again. BBC One moved the repeat episode of Neighbours to a 5.35pm evening slot. The decision to do this had been made by controller Michael Grade on the advice of his daughter. Yeah, yes. Yeah, mm. I, I, yeah. I think that's the slot. It was a good move, I think. I don't know what it what, what was it before that? I don't was know it, that there was, was a repeat. To, it must have been well, in the was afternoon. There not a yeah, there was in the afternoon. Must, must have been on the afternoon. Well, it right? says moves the repeat episode of Neighbours to a 5.30pm, so there must have oh, been one. I don't know. Was, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I always thought it was on at the time it was on. I don't remember. Because I thought it was hand. lunchtime and 5.35. But maybe we were at school, so we never saw the repeat version. I don't, we, I never, we never knew it existed. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. So for, for years, they were showing a repeat version of Neighbours, and we had no knowledge of it. Goodness me. I'd have watched the hell out of that. I would have. I'd have come home. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. 6th of January, all ITV regions network Emmerdale Farm in the Wednesday and Thursday 6.30pm slot. It's all going on this January. <laughs> it really it is, isn't it? It's, Lots it's, of it's slot rock, movement. Rocket rocking away. The people are just changing stuff willy-nilly. Yeah, it's all about a farming community once, and then it changed <laughs> with sea greens. Sea greens and plankton. <laughs> plankton. <laughs> <laughs> and the animals stopped coming, and the people <laughs> kept coming, and the farm was changed. It, it was set in, the show was called Emmerdale Farm from 1972 to 1989. Yeah, it was. But it wasn't actually set originally in the village of Emmerdale. It wasn't even called Emmerdale. It was actually called Beckendale. So Emmerdale Farm was a place in Beckendale. In the, what was, in the, the, ne- what was the name of the characters, the main characters in it? Sugden. Molly Sugden and Percy Sugden. And the, I think. Was it? What, the farmers were? I don't think they were the Sugdens. Yeah, there was, the, yeah, there was the, definitely the Sugdens, yeah. The only ones I remember, Mr. Wilkes. Mr. Yeah, Wilkes and, as well, and the, and the Woolpack, the pub. And uh, the Amos, Br- Amos Brearley. With massive, massive uh, mutton chops. He did, yeah. Um, it was renamed to Emmerdale after the crazy episode where they dropped an aeroplane on Emmerdale. On, oh, well, yeah, on I remember that, yeah. So they dropped, in, in the fictional world of the TV show, it, there were, an aeroplane was crashed uh, crashed on top of Beckendale and killed loads of the main characters and all sorts of stuff. It was then named Emmerdale after the Sugden family. And it was also in the fictional reality of the show to stop people coming and being, you know, grisly tourists of Beckendale as it was because it was hit by this aeroplane. Oh, crazy interest in all that stuff. I'm never going to watch Shemmerdale ever. No, I I might have caught it back then when I was younger sort of thing. But if they, the music. Named, if they named it after the Sugden family, why didn't they call it Sugden? Because there's something to do with the fact that uh, they didn't want to. <laughs> 
because they knew someone called Emma Dale. No, no one's going to watch. No one's going to watch a TV show called The Sugden's Farm. <laughs> a brother called Bob me. Dale. Bob Dale. <laughs> Is it Chippendale? Um, Chippendale, or it could be, yeah. It could be a Chippendale. Anyway, um, so the... I remember the music. Na, 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 yeah. Shots of farm gates and sheep. But all it's changed. It's got different music now, different opening credits. Everything's different now. It's all changed. That's what happens when Michael Gray got, probably got his hands on it. Well, went from rural soap opera about a man going to the pub going, have you seen those sheep in Bob's field, Derek? <laughs> I haven't. Are they all right? No, one of them's dropped dead from, from foot and mouth and toe foot. It's got the worst toe foot I've ever so seen. You said you'd never seen it. I haven't. I'm just, that's me guessing what it's about. That's a complete <laughs> guess. That's a spot on impression of it, I can tell you. <laughs> well, surprise surprise there's not much else to do it about is there you're gonna drink that pint pete no i'm not no no well give it to give it to johnny he's over there he's been drunk far too long in here out you go i love out you go he's having an affair you know with bob really i could have been a writer for that show i could have been a writer so you could have you could have been a contender train of thought writing.com <laughs> So where's that story going? I've no idea. I don't know what I've just said. Have you not written it down? It's like one of those um, creatures in that minority report, you know, the people who are the precogs. I just sit there just with, with wires in my head, just spouting like some random crap and like, right, write this down, it's TV gold. I'm not sure. Did you need to have an affair with Bob? Just write it down, I said, damn it. Na, 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 na. <laughs> Uh, 9th of January, ITV as the British television premiere of the 1984 film Supergirl, uh, starring Helen Slater. Uh, I bet they wish they hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. It's, it's got it's got Peter no. O'Toole in it. <laughs> Peter O'Toole. <laughs> Peter Tell them you went for a drink. <laughs> Tell you went for a drink with Ollie Reed. Well, that was that classic spit image. Yeah. Um, yeah, Supergirl is really terrible. It's a terrible, terrible thing. So I don't like it at all. It's a horrible movie. And Dunaway, Faye Dunaway, is also in it as the baddie, and Peter O'Toole and the Golden Raspberry Awards. They're both quite respected actors and actresses Oof. in that. So they got for the and they got nominated for the Golden the Ras, Golden Raspberry for worst actress and worst actor respectively. That ain't good. You don't want that's not a career highlight, is it? That? It's not. I mean, it was directed by uh, Janet Swatch. Swatch, I think is how you pronounce it. He also did Jaws Two, which is good. Somewhere yeah. in Time, which is good. Yeah. He also did Bug. Do you remember Bug? No, I don't remember it at all. It's a really yeah. crap. It, it, I saw it on one of those uh, horror double bills on a Saturday night that we used to have um, on BBC right. Two, and it was in one of them. I think it was teamed up with Night of the Lepus. Well, the one um, about the ra- killer rabbits, the giant rabbits. Yeah, and Bug mm-hmm. was about these. They they started fires by sort of they were like cockroaches, and they started oh, fire fires by rubbing their sort of back legs or back things together, and they were crawling all over the place and started yeah, fires. And there was bell. always one. There's this one bit that I remember where they got on this woman's hair. And just click it in and set her head on fire. Yeah, that really rings a bell now you've described those scenes. Yes. Yeah, crap. It was really awful. Crap, yeah, it was it? really but crap. I do remember those scenes as you described them now, actually. Yeah, that was bug. But yeah, Janet Swartz, you, you know, it's in, it, I don't know what happened here. I mean, you've noted it was cut from 138 minutes to 105. I mean, yeah. that's not going to help. That's th- 33 no, and minutes. They cut, they cut, entire scenes were cut out of that, which meant that the film had massive continuity errors and problems. It, the whole thing was a, a massive series of issues. The fact that it was meant to have Christopher Reeve in it briefly, he said he said he didn't want to be in it. The director originally wanted Richard Lester. He said absolutely no way because of all the fiasco that was Superman three. It's just it was a whole production. Superman well, Superman three and four. It's just they didn't yeah. leave them with a good taste in their mouths, and and it, there was just no appetite for this. And it's a pity because the the girl in it, Helen Slater, I think she's like a lamb to the slaughter really in this. Mm. Um, she's not a bad you know bad looking woman, and she doesn't do a bad job of being Supergirl. She, she, as it was. she was. Um... She was in that one we looked at, that restless 
native, not wrestling yeah, yeah. the, the one with Danny but, DeVito and Ryan right, but stuff. terrible special effects, terrible everything in this. The bit where she gets trapped in the Phantom Zone is horrible because it's such bad effects. It makes you angry, even for the time they're bad. So <laughs> no, it is not good. This and it could, and I think it's a director that could do a lot better, but was massively hamstrung by the production that was around going on around him. And and I suspect budgetary constraints. And then just them saying, right, you know what, we're just going to cut half an hour out of this because that's the only way we're going to get it. Because they did that so they could not just do it for the, for the theatrical release, but also so it fit into time slots on TV. Yeah. So it was just done purely for financial and um, production purposes. There was no, and they were apparently is indiscriminate as well. So it wasn't like it was a clever, let's get the edit and really edit this down. It was just, yeah, that, cut that bit out. It's not necessary. Cut that bit out. God. They, went, they went full June, the original June. We need a, we need a Twitter campaign. Release the Sparks cut. Well, it's out there. You can down, you can get that. And, oh. so you can download from legitimate places where you can buy it. Um, you can get the director's <laughs> cut for that if you uh, seek it out. It is out there. Unavailable oh, yeah. on all good DVDs and Blu-rays and such. Okay. But if I you're going to spend money on Supergirl, you know, I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> Okay. 25th of January, TVS launches Late Night Late and gradually extends its broadcast hours over the next few months. I don't know what that is. I'm guessing it's Scottish. Is it TV Scotland? Is it TV Southern? What's Could TVS? Be. TVS, TV South, TV Scotland. I don't know. But it's one of those. They were all doing it, weren't they? It's Late Night yeah. now with ITV. We spoke about it before, you know, on the we late show yeah. They're all doing it's, it, yeah. But now on TVS Late Night Late, this is a program about doors. Whether they open or not, we don't know. Because that was the, they, they went to the extent they didn't have any content for this. No, they didn't scrambling around. And it was yeah. Here's a, here's a talk show from people in your community. Like, oh god. Yeah, yeah. What's in your fish tank? Fish tank. Fish tank. Hello, I'm Bobby McGee, and this is a program about fish tanks. Neons, neons. I've got plenty of neons. Oh no, oh no. My my angel fish is eating them all. Well, I can see that looking in your tank there, uh, Phil, that you've got a problem with thin rot. <laughs> um, what you need is some of this white powder. Now, this white powder, some people call it cocaine. I like to call it fish exciter because when you put that in there, they'll squiggle around loads. They might die, some of them, but you've got to make room in that tank for some, haven't you, Phil? Off you go. Off you go. Put, that's it. Put it in. Not too much, though. Leave some for me. For me. <laughs> It took an unusual twist in Emma didn't it? Anyway, so there you go. There you go. 25th to 29th of January, TVAM TVAM aired a week of live broadcast from Sydney to celebrate Australia's bicentenary, featuring Anne Diamond and Mike Morris, those quintessentially Australian presenters. With their horrible jumpers. You know, they wore breakfast jumpers were a thing with them too. Yeah, well, not just then, with Russell Grant as well. Yeah, they all had these proper... just... You know, when have you ever woken up in early at the early hours of the morning and reached for your jumper or your pullover? You don't do it. <laughs> pullover. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no. Yeah. I remember Anne Diamond became quite famous for, uh, you know, varying you know pullovers with the different patterns on and Like, yeah, no. They, they were always very fluffy, I seem to remember. There was yeah. lots of fluff, fluff jumpers. Anne Diamond. Fluffy she, jumpers, she was jumpers. A yeah, they were like Christmas jumpers, but without the Christmas themes. They were the, just just jumpers, really. Yeah, just jumpers with padding jumpers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do like you've noted. I do remember that going on. Yeah, um, like, for some reason. I remember yeah, it. God knows. No, God but, knows what else was on. Yeah, nothing. Well, I'll tell you what else was on because when that finished, thirtieth of January, British television premiere of the James Bond film Octopussy uh, on ITV. Yeah, <laughs> look at this film. <laughs> Dusty's back. It's dusty back, Dusty Bond. <laughs> In egg form. <laughs> oh God, this honestly, this film has the weirdest collection of Bond things ever in a in a Bond film. They're just weird. Everything about this film is weird. The plot, the characters, the story, the things that happen. It's like someone was smoking crack when they were writing the script. 
I mean, the, f- the first line of the plot sets the tone for the whole oddness of this. So, after fleeing knife-throwing twin assassins Mishka and Grishka in East Berlin, mortally wounded British agent 009, dressed as a circus clown and carrying a counterfeit egg, crashes into the British ambassador's residence and dies. That's how it begins. It begins with a special agent dressed as a clown carrying an egg. <laughs> That's how it begins, eh? Cla- clown egg. Begins. So I've, I've made a list of the bizarre things that happen in this. And there's, a, there's an entire load, loads of them. I'll, no, I'll, I'll go through some of these. Go on then. So, so after that beginning sequence, these aren't necessarily sequential, but most of them are. Bond defeats Khan in a game of backgammon using Khan's loaded dice, causing him to become enraged, which is a massive overreaction because just prior to that, he's also diddled out hundreds of thousands of pounds with a fake egg. So he's, he's enraged at the wrong thing. Nah, money's nothing to him. It's rich. Money doesn't mean anything to rich people. Losing at a game, losing face and shame. I can understand that. All right. Being, yeah, being, being someone who is, you know, partial to okay, a well, egg. Okay, okay, we'll let that one go. Bond infiltrates <laughs> a floating palace in Udipur using a submarine disguised as a Nile crocodile. No, nah, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't do anything with that one. <laughs> Why? Why that? <laughs> Crocodiles are on the Nile. Why not just a submarine? Because they look more like a crocodile. <laughs> it's, under the, it's under the bloody water. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And plus, you know, anyway, all right, never mind that. A female character called Octopussy, there's a character called Octopussy in this, is a wealthy businesswoman and smuggler, and is also the head of the cult of the octopus. A cult that is never mentioned in any other Bond movie ever again. Nope. Ever. Good cause. When Kamal Khan sends hired thugs to kill James Bond, one of the thugs smashes the aquarium containing (laughs) the deadly blue-ringed octopus, which is also named Octopussy, and that smothers him to death. Doesn't poison him. They're deadly poisonous octopuses. They don't smother. They poison you. <laughs> Stupid. And then, of course, you know, they, then it's like it's outside of its smashed aquarium, out of the water. It's not going to live long anyway. It's going to die. But never mind that. Never mind that. Okay. <laughs> the enemies wield deadly. Yo- I know this would appeal to you, but the enemies wield deadly yo-yos. Yeah, I love a deadly yo-yo, which Smash is a yo-yo. fictional assassination weapon consisting of an axle connected to two razor-sharp discs and a cord looped around the axle. It was designed to be dropped like a flying buzzsaw onto the victims. It's the secrets where they're trying to escape and they're just buzzsawing people off a bridge. It's really weird. It's weird yep. that they would just shoot them. Shoot them with a gun. <laughs> you wouldn't have fly. You wouldn't have deadly yo-yos then. <laughs> you don't need them. <laughs> I need my tower. <laughs> Travelling to East Germany, Bond infiltrates the circus. Is that even a thing? Bond just infiltrates the circus. Why? Does, why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> During the main baddie has been. Stop, it's already dead. <laughs> the main baddie has replaced the Soviet treasures with a nuclear warhead, primed to explode during the circus performance at a US airbase. Are they not airing themselves when they're talking about this? It's just too many questions. Why would they replace Soviet treasures with a nuclear warhead? How would you not notice the difference between a Fabergé egg and a nuclear warhead? It's not like they're comparable in size. It's like, that egg's, that egg's massive. <laughs> and it, and it's chicken. And it's, it's chicken, which is kind of glowing with like a... It's, it's not a, a nuclear reactor in that, is it? Um, I'm, I'm feeling a bit hot under my skin and in my sides and my, my liver's leaking. Some of my favourite ones here. Bond penetrates the airbase and disguises himself as a clown to invade the West German police. Because that's the thing you can do. You need to invade any kind of police force just dressed as a clown. You can get in anywhere. You never suspect the clown. You never suspect the clowns. I would if I was, you know, <laughs> wondering what you were doing. If he's looking for a ginormous explosive egg, um, you... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> as they attempt to escape in the airplane, Bond clings to the fuselage and disables an engine and an elevator panel. Why those things? <laughs> an engine, fine. Just disable the engine. That's fine. That plane ain't going nowhere. You don't. The elevator panel seems very obtuse. It's a bit niche to sort of go on, on a rampage. And you know what? I'm not just. <laughs> Disable the bloody engines. I'm gonna. You're not gonna lift anything out of this plane ever again. <laughs> 
This is, no, this is not going to be transporting anything. Finally, Bond and Octopussy jump off a plane onto a nearby cliff during the final season. Yeah, they yeah. just jump out, jump out the plane onto a cliff. A plane that's been had its engine disabled and its elevator panels disabled by James Bond. He just jumps off onto a cliff. Well, that, that, well the reason they jump is because they couldn't lower themselves down because he'd broken the elevator. <laughs> exactly. Don't shoot yourself in the foot, James. <laughs> If, you, if you're going to need the elevator, my advice to you is don't disable it. But, you know, you know, what do I, what but do maybe I, it's stop, just a stop Kamal, who, you know, Kamal Khan, who then blows The whole up. idea that this, the a, a film that's basically revolves around an egg. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, we, we it's should, really weird. By all, by all, by all stretch of the imagination, we should love it. Now, do you know what strange thing is? I mean, not that that isn't strange enough, but a little bit of that is actually based on a real Ian Fleming story. Yeah, I know. Yeah, this is where they were running out of them, wasn't it? Clearly, because they took the bits, <laughs> they took the bits out of the Ian Fleming bits, which I imagine are all the good bits in this, what such as they are. And thought, well, how is he going to get from there to there? I don't know. Uh, Submarine disguised as crocodile. Yeah, do that. Doesn't have the good opening sequence where he's in the the plane and flies, yeah, yeah, and flies yeah. into the uh, thing and comes out and it blows up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's probably the bit that they got from Ian Fleming. The rest of it, oh, you know, right. I don't think they did. <laughs> they got it from Bob um, Fleming. And I still, I still octopus, find it bizarre. obsessed brother. <laughs> I just find it bizarre that, you know, in this particular world they're in, that Soviet treasures are replaced with nuclear warheads and nobody really notices that. And that's like a thing they don't notice. <sighs> of course, it means that there has to be something to defuse, doesn't it? All right, anyway. Yeah. So, not good. It's not a good film, that. It's crap. It's one, it's one of the worst Bond movies, that. Okay. We keep Terrible. saying that about all of these. <laughs> well, they, they, they go, it's because it's you know, Dusty Moore, isn't it? So <laughs> it's not at this point. It's really starting to get desperate and, and crappy. You know, well, this, was this before Living Daylights? I guess it was way before that. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, this is not, not his last one, is it? Because it was View to a Kill before? View, View to a Kill before kills. this. Is this his last one? Uh, no, because this, this is on TV for the first time, isn't it? So it's probably been out in the cinema before. It was, I mean, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this had just come out. That. Yeah, so it had been released yeah. before. So it must be about 1984, three this year. Yeah, one, something like that. Yeah. Uh, new TV shows this month. We had First of the Summer Wine, ran for yeah. a year. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, had, I didn't like Last of the Summer Wine. So First of the no. Summer Wine was never going to be a winner with me. I never got it. I don't, I never got it. And I don't know anyone that did. I don't get it. I never got it. I don't understand why watching, whether young or old, people just, you know, bimbling around a Yorkshire village, stumbling over rocks and looking like tramps. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I don't get the obsession with um, Nora Batty's rolled up. No, I I guess you have to be of a certain age range to really appreciate it, I guess. Yes. Uh, 11th of January, Star Wars droids. Yeah. I don't remember this at all. Yeah, I, I've, I've watched all of them. It's, it's, it is it is I never, I mean, I watched them all because there's not a lot. I think there's, there's not loads of them. There's only 13, I think. Um, something right. like that. It's um, it's just the further adventures of C-3PO and R2-D2. How much mileage there is in that is the problem because not a lot, as it turns uh, out. No, it really isn't. So, but it is their actual voices. It is, well, R2-D2 is not on voices, is it? But it is Anthony Daniels doing the voice of C-3PO in that. So. Well, he didn't get a lot more work, did he? Not after that. 4th of January. <laughs> 4th of January, Clarence. Uh, the Roddy Barker, yeah, comedy, Mr. Uh, Magoo I, thing, yeah, essentially. I, I never really liked it. I, again, it falls into the last of the summer wine category a bit. Ronnie Barker's always worth watching, generally, but more in the two Ronnies, less less so in this kind of thing. And of course, in things like um, what's the prison drama he was in? Um, oh, but porridge. Well, yeah, prison drama comedy. Yeah, porridge. Uh, he was great in stuff like that. Oh yeah, I never, absolutely. I never really dug. I never really got into college. There's only six episodes ever made anyway. I think. Yeah, yeah. porridge and after hours. No, after hours. Yeah, after after no. Open all hours. Open all hours. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. Fourth uh, of January. Oh, I've got us after here. Fourth uh, of January after Henry. No, um, never saw it. No, I remember it vaguely, very vaguely. I mean, it d- this doesn't sound like the most amusing premises for a sitcom. Sarah France is the 42-year-old widow of a GP, Henry. She lives in an often volatile family situation with her elderly mother, Eleanor Prescott, and her daughter, 18-year-old Claire France, with both of whom she shares a house. After Henry's death, all three members of the family have to find a way to cope with each other as best they can. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I can't stop laughing. Can you? Christ. It ran for four years, though. 88 to 92. It could not be stopped. No one has a heart to tell him. Uh, 11th of January, the real Ghostbusters. Mm. Uh, on our shows, this ran for five years. Oh, crazy that it ran for that long, really. Yeah, I know. But I could why i think it was quite a good cartoon for the time it's all right and it was was an extension of the ghostbusters which wasn't really happening was it for people that people wanted more ghostbusters and it was really delayed coming out yeah ghostbusters 2 took was 1990 or something was it yeah it took ages and it wasn't really good either so no it wasn't um so this was kind of a bridge really it was a good idea just done badly i think um it was created by our friends at dick entertainment that's a good good sign it's good old dick wasn't the voice well, Venkman's voice, the same guy who did Garfield. Yeah, for the, first, like Garfield. for the first two seasons, I think of... It is the same guy who did the voice for Garfield. Lawrence, something his name is, mm. I think. Yeah, and then he was later changed over. Um, and ironically, um, the voice of Garfield in the real, the CG film version was done by um guy that was originally Peter Venkman, wasn't it? So it was done Bill by Murray. Guy. Bill Murray, yeah. Swings and roundabouts, all goes round. Main you know. issue here for me was that it had, it had that thing that they did in loads of these cartoons at the time which was have a really stupid character in it in this one it was the slimer ghost which had gone from being a very you know a, a very simple plot twist sideline in the original ghostbusters yeah, having yeah. a full-blown responsibility and kind of voice and it was just awful um, yes. and that i found that really annoying it, it was just it always just spoke in a series of annoying grunts and whines and utterances like our podcast <laughs> friend gary <laughs> who slimer resembles he does but he's less, but he's he less gooey than he is less gooey, and he's, but he's more, a lot more likely to crap in your bin. <laughs> he really um, is. No, I mean, really Slimer's less gooey. Yeah, that's, that's um, exactly right. No, no, but yeah, true. It's true. Anyway, um, yeah, because no. it reminded me of a worse version of Uni from Dungeons & Dragons. Yes, 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 yes. I was trying to think of one it reminded me of, and it was Uni from the Dungeons & Dragons, yes. Uni. Never have I wanted to take you know, the, that, that giant bat from that and just bat that thing to death. <laughs> oh, you can't not Uni. I like Uni. I, I would. I would crush it with that. Uni. No, Barbarian. I, is it Barbarian? I'd get his little bat he and was, smack yeah, that he was, thing. Yeah, all right. You're and with Weeble on that. Unicorn. <laughs> Uh, and finally, 11th of January, and this ran for 15 years and then came back again for another six. Uh, this is 15 to 1, the classic, classic game show. I used to really like this. Uh, I know really you'd good like idea. it. You yeah, love stuff like that. I do. It's a good, you know. It's all right. So you basically got 15 people in a ring and they've all got three lives and you just keep they just keep going around asking them questions until there's only three left. But you nominate. No, you nominate, don't you? Yeah, so exactly. They, they start somewhere. They start randomly. You answer a question and you pick someone. So it, yeah. it, you could see them all ganging up on people. You, you yeah. know nothing. I'm going to get you yeah. out. You're going to um, be out, mate. Yeah, I really like that. And then back at the end, it was um, there's three of them left, and they had to last one left win won won the prize, which was usually well, crap. when it got down to, when it got down to two, it was let's <laughs> fight it out to the death. Absolutely, and I was always putting 15 quatloos on the one in the left. Exactly, and William Gladstone Stewart, who was the host, just wore a thong for that entire part. <laughs> very, very manly, very manly. <laughs> he did. He showed his 15 to one off. <laughs> did he really did that's what some people don't know about him there we go january was a strange old month on tv but there you go that's that that's it done supergirl and octopussy being the highlights <laughs> oh, i suppose actually no i suppose mutiny on the bounty is the highlight i guess but the very very first day <laughs> it's all downhill yeah. after that january's yeah. were gray back then gray and long Grey and long, and Channel 4 was being dumbed. Dumbened. <laughs> dumbened. Yeah, it was. <laughs> anyway, there we go. That's your TV. Uh, we're going to go away, have one more quick break, then we come back. We've got five more games to get through, and so we'll get into them after this. See you in a moment. Are you 
Guess what arrived in the post for me today, Adrian? Was it your order of your Elvis memorabilia? No, unfortunately that hasn't arrived yet. No. Cool. My performance package 4.0 arrived today and I'm telling you it is a game changer. Now, do you know what the 4.0 performance package is? I do not. Well, it's a collection of amazing stuff from Manscaped that really helps boost your confidence and helps you with all of that kind of below-the-waist shenanigans that you might want to be involved with. Now, let me tell you a bit more about it. Inside my performance package, there was the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer for trimming down the old garden downstairs. I also got the Weed Whacker ear and nose and hair trimmer, my Crop Preserver ball deodorant, my Crop Reviver toner, performance boxer briefs. No chafing for me with those smoothies. And a travel bag to hold all my junk in. So not only do my performance boxer briefs hold in my junk, but I've got a bag to hold in the rest of it as well. Brilliant. So many bags, so much junk being held. Everything is great in there. All arrived in one package, all convenient, all held in one thing with a nice zip across the top, pop it in the cupboard, bring it out when I need it, and I'm going to need it a lot because I'm a little bit older now. Hair grows all over the place indiscriminately. Got to shave that stuff off. And the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer with its advanced skin safe technology means that I'm going to be able to shave down there, feel relaxed about the whole process. Brilliant. Now, the great thing is here, I can offer you, Adrian, a deal. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code ZAPPED20, Z-A-P-P-E-D-2-0, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping. I think that's brilliant. You get yourself the performance package, unlock your confidence, Adrian, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Here we are back again. We are back. We've got five games still to get through, so let's not uh, read on the bus. Let's just get straight into them. And it is 995, 58%. Bob Slay. Bob Slay. Not two words. It's not Bob Slay. Uh, that would be quite an interesting game. <laughs> or a command. <laughs> Bob. Bob Slay. Slay Bob. No, this is Bob Slay. Bob we continue- Sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Kill. Bob Slay. We continue our Icebound escapade with a game based around Bob Slay, and this is from Digital Integration. Seriously, is there any sport now that cannot be replicated in 8-bit form? Does Bob Slay have a massive hidden audience that no one knew about? Mm, it seems no. um, It seems that, and I think I'm, I, I spot the reason why these, these, these things are happening, the Winter Olympics that were held in Calgary in February 1988. Yes, uh, yes, 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 they, yes. They have sent the developers scurrying to the snow events, the mountainous events, the snow top things, and anything is fair game at this point. Just get stuff out. Well, look at this game did they actually get there uh, probably not no not very fast anyway okay so the first thing i've noted in this is bobsleigh uh when the game loads up it has a rendition of pop goes back or looks back i can i can i saw both names it's the theme tune from the uk tv show ski sunday everyone knows it's great just notice the word ski in that title though it's from ski sunday not bobsleigh it's not bobsleigh sunday get your own bloody tune bobsleigh it's like stop nicking ski's tune <laughs> it's ski sunday's tune isn't it? yeah just stop it what are you doing Anyway, it's recognisable. This uh, tune is recognisable as a version of that tune, but it sounds like it was dropped through a wormhole from 1984 because it has that ni- that sort of early Commodore music um, style to it, which is kind of really weird. It's got that sort of really simple. It's not, you know, not considering the music we're hearing at the moment, things like Driller and Tetris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This just sounds like something very simplistic. Anyway, that's it. That's it for music. You Enjoy that tune because it's all you're going to get. The rest of the sounds in this are beeps and rumbles, and that's what you're going to get. <laughs> and upon loading this, you are greeted with your menu in hard-to-read, up-left, drop-shadow writing. Who does drop-shadow to the top left? This should not be allowed. Who? 
What, 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 who puts the light in the bottom right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it really annoyed me. I sat there looking at it going, there's something really wrong about it. It's up, up left shadowing. Ugh. You do it to the bottom right or, or push down. No. Don't question the text text um, layout of this thing or the, the anything to do <laughs> it with was, it. Don't, it was, don't because it's awful. It's not good. It's really not. The sort of UI elements of this are really a lot. Typographic. <laughs> nightmare <laughs> and considering a lot of your time is spent in this oh dear because you've got a number of options here um and that's probably the, this game's strongest point so like that ice skating thing we played they've just gone options mad and, and things so the first you've got here is event so the first thing option you can choose from is just says event opens but it's all window driven as well so it's quite nice it pops up a little window and you can choose from demo single season olympic practice along with those great events save load and restart you remember them Yay, they're great I remember those. <laughs> they're great so d- demo just gives you a demo it shows you a rolling demo of the ice skating so you pick a pick a level sort of thing where you want to do you can do a single run of a bobsleigh track you can do a season you can go for the full olympics or you can just practice it's up to you you know just prick what you want after that you can then select the number of players one or two and then the country you wish to represent countries available to represent are britain switzerland italy canada france norway usa or germany pick your pick whichever you want um after that you can pick your track you can go from breville which i thought was a toasty but (laughs) sandwich maker sandwich maker yeah i didn't know they were name i mean i'm showing my uh, geographical ignorance here and I do apologise if you live in Breville or you're near it you know where it is I have no idea uh, Calgary which are... <laughs> you live in Breville <laughs> Calgary which I'm pretty sure is in Canada uh, Innsbruck Austria Koenigsee which uh, I don't know where Koenigsee is it's I next to... to Breville it's next to Breville I want to say somewhere in um, Scandinavian I want to say St. Moritz which I think is France and w- or Winterberg I don't believe Winterberg is a place it's you made that one up <laughs> you can't make up some... what we need another uh, I don't know any more cold places Called Winterberg. Winterberg? It's, it's Winterberg's like, cold. Yeah, it's like Coldville or Chili, <laughs> Chili Town. Chillington. <laughs> or or brr, it's Brass Knucklesville. <laughs> yeah, it's freezing. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, it's not Winterberg. I don't believe Winterberg's a place. Sorry if you live there, but I don't believe it. You it's can next then check <laughs> down the road from item you can then check on the weather select the type of bobsleigh you can buy a bobsleigh from from your available funds and then you can go and play the weather basically just tells you it's like it's this cold gives you some sort of you know a range cold to brr is essentially what it is (laughs) um uh yeah so you can buy a bobsleigh there's loads of different bobsleighs in the type of bobsleighs and i'm not going to go through them all because i don't understand them there's one two three there's all sorts uh and you can uh go for your funds you know and whatever Uh, at this point though once you start playing it the main issue with the game kicks in because despite all those options the game's not very enjoyable or good no no it's not so once you get into the actual game itself it has a 3d view of the track on the left taking up most of the left hand side of the screen an info uh, on the right hand side of the screen about the weather which i said is brutal chilly speed uh you know in how fast you're going the record uh, so the you know the record time for that track you've gone on uh, your split times which is obviously how fast you're going through each section and there's a timer um which is underneath the window where you actually see the game being played so that's what you've got on the screen to get yourself going you wait for the countdown count count ready commences. set go kind of ready thing. set go yeah it kick, that kicks in once it says go you've got to waggle up and down vertical waggling Wait, i don't like it 
I don't like it. It seems to be the in thing at the moment. What's going on? What's the, no, it's it's wrong. It just I feel like I'm soaring something. So yeah, so you've got to you've got to vertically waggle sort of to get to to start your uh, your bobsleigh running. Because if you don't know what bobsleigh is, essentially it's 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 people in a metal tube going down a very fast ice slide. Is what it, it's essentially what it is. Yeah, to, so description. To, so to start off, you have to you you're all both all the all the people that will jump into the tube are either side of it and they push it. They go hey, hey, and they start running really fast and pushing it as fast as they can. And then when they get to a bit, they all jump in. One, two, three, four. It's usually four of them. And they all jump in and then they, they all hunker down and try not to lose their heads. And that's basically it. It's a very dangerous sport. They go very fast. So you've got to waggle this up and down. You see these hands on either side of the uh, bobsleigh. It's sort of the first person, or slightly third person, slightly behind the bobsleigh. You'll see these people running behind it. You press the fire button uh, to jump in. I always got told my uh, my start was flimsy or something or not very fast or something Yeah, crap. same, same. Um, so no matter how hard I waggled, because there's no real indication of when to jump in or anything. Once you do, you jump in and you start to head down what is, I can only describe as the jerky 3D white tube with you with your little grey heads at the bottom, in, in, in which is supposed to be your guys in the uh, in the bobsleigh. And you've got to steer left and right, uh, trying not to crash into the walls. Um, you know, you can get up to speeds of 150 kilometers per hour. I think I got anywhere near there before I crashed. The problem is, though, like it's not as bad as Enduro Racer, but there's never that sensation of speed. It just never feels, when I watched the demo, I didn't say, oh, that really looks like 150 kilometers an hour. I was just like, oh, I could go that fast on a bike. Yep. And, the, the, and the, when I did play it, I found the controls were laggy and jerky. They're not good words. They're no, <laughs> they're not good words to describe controls. So I often just found myself smashing off walls and tipping over, which then resulted in a really crap animation of crashing with lots oh, of lo- with lots of white sparkles going on. And then it just went, "You have not finished, uh, and, and now you need to repair your bobsleigh." Uh, so that's depressing news. You know, not only had I lost and crashed and possibly killed half my crew, I had to repair my bobsleigh. Bah. You start with 12K, 12,000 pounds. That goes down quickly. Even bobsleigh is like four grand. So, you know, it doesn't last very long with stuff. And then that's it. You Off you go again. That's about it, really. You can play through a season, but, you know, the, and, and there's maps. So you can bring up the maps and each, you know, these are maps of proper, um, although I don't believe there's one in Winterberg, these are proper bobsleigh runs. So the maps are there and it does, you know, as you're going down the left, right turn, do kind of correspond to the run itself but it just feels there's no sense of real speed or fun in playing any of them so despite all the front end frippery all that buying of stuff the different types of things the picking you where you want to go and all that the core plane of the game is drab and it never really represents that speed that bobsleigh's approach this has got to be quick i just wonder once again just how many people is this going to appeal to so on the front of the box if you look uh, i look had a look at the front of the box this is a picture of someone who is identified as britain's number one driver the guy just a picture in a box like uh and he's got a signature that you can't read so i don't know who he is because i couldn't read it didn't have his name on it and it just and it states it's from Winterberg. <laughs> Probably it's Bob Winterberg. <laughs> from Winterberg. From the family Winterberg. <laughs> he says that this, and his quote is about this, he says this is fast action fun. But it's not any of those things. Uh, he's describing <laughs> it, Bob slaying, not actually this game. <laughs> yeah, none of those things. It's neither fast, there's no action, and it ain't fun. So not even if you put them together in any way, this not. And I thought they could have at least printed his name so we know who it was. Because who knew anything about bobsleigh riders back then? Or even now, who knows? I looked at it and went, it just looked like some bloke. Like, who are you? So, so it was. Could have been anyway. It could have been the developers for all I knew. I mean, they might have known because obviously the Olympics were about to start at the time. So we might have got to a rash of, you know, info about the bobslayers, but I doubt it. I don't remember them. And I was watching the Olympics. If it's me, just go play the bobslay event in Winter Games. <laughs> If you, wanted a bit yep. of, if you wanted a bit of that sport, this seems to be aiming at a market of one. That guy on the front cover 
and it's not very good to cap it all off. This was poor. I didn't really think much to it. It got 58%. I think that's being really generous. It's all front-end nonsense, and then the actual game itself, it does not feel like a bobsleigh run at all. So it reminded me a lot of that um, cheap-budget kayak game we played year, ages ago in the sort yeah, of same, yeah, yeah. same kind of sense of that. But this is full price, and two years later, so it should be better. No. Bobsleigh? No. Not for me. What about you? It's a brave attempt, wasn't it? Um, this, when you consider <laughs> the, ep- the epics had already done it and done done a better version of this in every possible way with winter games. Yep. So presentationally, this is poor, isn't it, at best? It looked like an Atari 2600 game. Yes, it did. With its huge kind of expanded text fonts with the garish colours and the blocky drop shadow text from the wrong direction. Just the typographic kind of hell that I never want to find myself in. Nope. You know, I start wincing and getting twitchy at wide (laughs) fonts anyway. I don't like wide fonts generally. I don't like when you drop shadow them. I don't like rainbow coloured white. I Just everything about it, no. No, it played like a crappy Atari 2600 game as well. Now, you, you can excuse it on the Atari 2600 with its, what, 1K, was it? Or 4K, whatever it was, and, you know. Uh, Not here, though. So, <laughs> I mean, aside from all of the array of options, fine. But you know what? It doesn't matter how good your options are if the core central tenet of the game is crap. So the key issues for me here were, A, this was chuggy and slow, or laggy and slow. Those aren't things that a game like this should be. Bob Slay is a <laughs> fast, exciting, scooty trip down an ice tube. Yeah. You know, in, like you say, in a, metal, in a metal can, you've got people that are risking their lives. None of that is conveyed in this nonsense. Laggy so jerky. B, the, the graphics were poor. I mean, aside from the stupidity of the menu screens and all the blockiness and chunkiness of that, when you actually get to this Bob Slay itself, there's this kind of half-assed white vector thing monstrosity zoomy total effect it was just rubbish just really rubbish and when you like you say when you crashed you got these mysterious sort of blinky stars it's just like what what is this yeah. <laughs> why, why on earth would I play this when I could get all of the winter game sports, including bobsleigh, for less, probably less money right now than this? Why would I do that? You wouldn't. And then see the final, you know, the final uh, nail in the turd coffin for this was that it was just not exciting. I imagine being in a bobsleigh is both terrifying and exhilarating at the same time. For me, terrifying, because I wouldn't know why I was there, how I got there, and what, <laughs> what was going to happen at the end of it. I'm just going to crash, <laughs> probably get broken in bones and injuries. <laughs> but for this contains no excitement of any kind. There's no build-up of excitement as you're plowing through these menu screens and menu screens and options. It's not exciting or enticing you into the game. There's none of that. It's just factory-led, monotonous, clicky-clicky options to this dreary-looking display of game. There's no excitement in there. It's not no build-up to it. And actually, and the, the punitive parts of the game make it even less interesting and even less exciting. Is there anything less exciting in this game than when you crash, which is boring enough, to find that you've got to then repair the very thing that you've crashed? <laughs> That's the most boring thing to do ever. Yeah. Oh, you've broken your bobs thing. I have to repair that. What if I ain't got the money? Well, you can't play the game. You know what? Screw you. This game's stupid. I don't want to know. <laughs> and the final hurrah, I suppose, in this very very episode, an issue of Zap, this very episode that we've looked at, we've seen a super fast cosmic causeway blasting that 3D view into your eyes like 2001 speeds. So you can't tell me that you can't create some kind of variation of that kind of effect and put a bobsleigh at the bottom of the damn thing and just make it white, you know, and just do it. And I'm sure there's ways you could figure it out. Yep. They didn't want to do any of that, did they? They just thought, you know what, let's blind everybody with loads of options that they're not going to care about or know anything about. Because if you don't know anything about bobsleigh, all you really need to know is what Winter Games did. Get the tube down the funnel, the ice <laughs> funnel, um, the ice slide from A to B and don't crash. That's all you need to know. You don't need all the other options. It's stupid. So I figured that the only rationale for this game was that the developers had to actually bobslay a copy of the game 
from wherever they made it to wherever the publishers were, no matter what terrain they were on, they just had to bobsleigh. So they were trying to bobsleigh <laughs> down the M1 at one point. Like, we're not getting anywhere. It's just, it's not very good, this. It's awful. Terrible thing. 58% get lost. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. No, it's, it's knobsleigh. Awful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no sleigh. Yeah, no sleigh. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, be, gone, like a, be gone, demon. <laughs> no sleigh sounds like a really ropey 80s horror film. God, it does. It does. It's up there with Bug. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I'd rather watch Bug than play this. Um, anyway, that's the no sleigh, Bob sleigh, go away sleigh. Uh, yeah. Let's move on. We've got, still got four to get through. Graham, I hear you've got a mean streak. Apparently so. This is developed by Dalalalalala Software. Dalalai. Dalalai. I don't know why the Dalalai Software title screen. Matt Snape. Uh, the design's David Bishop. Good old David Bishop. Musician Matt Gray. Good old Matt Gray. Good music, actually. Okay, music. Good passable music. Dateline for this is the far future. High tech prevails. And matter transport is the norm in suburban Britain. I love the fact this is going to isolate that's Britain. The pampered masses barely leave their apartments as the computer attends to their every need. You, however, are a rebel. Rebels see the matter transport as yet another product of a bored, decadent society and are pledged, pledged to preserve the memory of the old ways by taking up the challenge of the battle track. The battle track, a vast expanse of abandoned motorway circling the capital city, or the M25 as we like to call (laughs) it. It made me laugh out loud when I read that. Of all the the places in the world, the M25 is where you set this. (laughs) The scene scene of the desperate fight for freedom between the rebels and the anarchic threat of the outcasts. The hitherto unmentioned to this point outcasts. Oh yeah, the outcasts. Yeah, remember them. Mount your turbocharged superbike, the mean streak, and take to the road. There can be only one ruler of the highways, you, the renegade on the motorbike, just in case you forgot who you were in the previous oh, yeah. description. The rebel. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were a Fast- rebel, not a renegade. Apparently, just, uh, you know what? Don't even think about it. You're on the M25 <laughs> at the end of the day, this end of this game. No, nobody wants to do that, even now. So this is apparently a fast-moving arcade action for one or two players. Meet the perils of the battle track head on, the M25 to you and me, and unleash <laughs> your mean streak. But the mean streak was the name of your bike. Um, okay, yeah. Anyway, uh, it's just it's yeah shit streak. So this is ba- <laughs> this game so stupid. All right. all right, so that's that. That's off the back of the box. All that. And that's 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 the back of the box stuff. Um. So basically, the game is like a rocket powered paperboy without delivering newspapers and without actually being in a suburban environment. In fact, it's probably more akin, really, I suppose, to a motorbike version of Shockwave Rider in a kind of weird way but uh, isometric it's played by a really weird opening menu screen that when it first appears makes no sense to your eyes your eyes just look at it and go, hey there's a cross in the middle and there's options all over the place I can't move um, I'll just press fire to start because I've got no idea how to move that thing around do anything it's just really confusing yep um, so the game is an, essentially an isometric racing game um, where you drive a speedy motorbike from bottom left to top right dodging jumping avoiding shooting and otherwise trying to get to the end of the M25 <laughs> 
The graphics are okay, I guess. Um, your main sprite looks like a motorbike. It does. It's not a bad little motorbike sprite. And the enemies also look, it's quite a big sprite. You take up a good proportion of the screen. Well, not huge, but the, the, the causeway, the M25, such as they've drawn it here, takes uh, up a fair <laughs> chunk of it. And the graphics, I still say, they're okay. And it does look like a motorbike at the end of the day, a little mini motorbike. And you're being followed around by different enemies who also are on motorbikes, of course. So it's kind of that kind of thing. So it's basically a run. What I found a bit weird here was the controls are odd. Because if you, you push up to speed yeah. up, which forces you to the top of the isometric window to the point when you can't why would you be there but once you get to that speed you're then at that speed so you can then pull back to go back further down the m25 viewpoint but it doesn't slow you down i don't think it's really weird the way it controls i couldn't anyway my head around it no no but anyway once you're up to speed of whatever that speed may be you then you know you then can dodge left and right this motorbikes come up from behind you which is really annoying because they will probably shoot you before you get chance but you've got to try and get behind them so you do that and you know you've just got to make it to the end of the race and dodge the things that get in your way you can shoot things this was really funny actually because i inadvertently shot a massive missile did you do that when you played this so you've got like a bullets and then at one point i just launched this massive it looked like i was throwing a massive dildo at the other motorbike (laughs) riders this is just emitted this massive white shaft i'm like what was that obviously it's a missile but it didn't look like one anyway and on the m25 it's probably happened before anyway um (laughs) probably so the controls are a bit weird you sort of get the hang of things because it's not once once you bypass the sort of weirdness of what you're doing it's not hard hard to control it does it is pretty responsive it's just a little bit weird the way you speed up and slow down kind of works it's not as, as you might expect it to you can deploy weapons like i said i deployed an oil slick somehow and rockets by some i don't know if i pressed the fire button down maybe held it down and that did it i don't know i could never quite repeat what i was doing i don't know if it's because you could only have one rocket or whatever but i think there's things you can pick up on the m25 as well i didn't it's hard to differentiate what's a, what is a hazard and what isn't in this game so some things you can jump over some things you can ride over some things you can't and you sort of get knocked off your bike a bit and i, I I found myself getting a little bit frustrated at this kind of, it plays out a little bit like an isometric, um, let's say, version of sort of Shockwave Rider. There's a little bit of, what's that top-down arcade car racer from ages ago, 1983? Um, it's a bit spy on I suppose, in a way, without that, with that kind of race, you know, I suppose the it plays okay. It's not a terrible game in the way that it plays, and its idea is okay. It's no it's no weirder than other ideas for games we've had of this type. You know, it's just a race game essentially with some you know some futuristic stupidity thrown in for good measure. But the main issue I had was that it just the graphics of the main sprites they're okay, but the the rest of it's dead uninspiring. It's just kind of this monotonously dull, tunnely brownness that you're sort of riding your little sort of almost is it colourless motorbike? Is it white, black, and white? I couldn't. I can't. Mm, we'll get to that in a minute. It's not nice. It's not nicely coloured. It looks like a motorbike, but it's not great colorization in this game. It's all a bit bland and uninspired, and it lacks any real drive. And that was my key problem. Once you get to speed and you're kind of meandering around in your motorbike, there's no real drive to get anywhere or do anything. There's no, nothing pushing you want, wanting to do better at this game. You just meander around the M25. Well, I've done that before in my own time, and it's really boring. <laughs> yeah. The scenery is really samey, so you don't feel like you're progressing anywhere. They, they, never, they never seem to get the idea of that. If you're on a game where the idea is to race, you need to vary the backgrounds a little bit to make it feel like you're actually going somewhere. Otherwise, it just feels like you're endlessly going down the same thing. You get Scooby-Dooed. They just go over the same background over and over and over and over again it's just mm-hmm. dull it's dull to do that so the scenery is very samey which does not give you a kind of sense of progression which means it's boring and it starts to get really boring and the samey and dull sound effects in the music Matt Gray's done a decent job they're alright but the main game and the way it plays is just uninspired and lacks anything that would keep you wanting to do better at it so it just misses the mark it's never it's not terrible this it's not utterly rubbish not like you know some of the other bobsleighs we've played and things like that but it just it's not very interesting and it's the same price essentially or just a, a, a pound less 
than Cosmic Causeway. So go and get that instead if you want a really fast racer game. This is just a little bit uninspired and it doesn't really need motorbikes. You could have been on a push bike, on a scooter. It could have been on anything. I think there's even a, a skateboarding type variation of this that we've played at some point, which is similar in a kind of weird way. So it's just, there's nothing new here. In fact, if anything, it's old stuff and not very exciting. And I, I just found myself bored of it very quickly, in all honesty. It's just, I got the idea of the thing they were trying to do very quickly. Again, it's one of those ones that have taken the futuristic wrapping paper and, you know, carefully packaged up the dog turd. When you unwrap it, there's not a lot more to it than that. It's pretty, pretty dull. It got 71% though from the zappers. They seem to think it was about better. And I would have given it bang on 50% around there. It's about as average as it gets this, considering how uninspired it is. But what about you? Yeah, no, this really wasn't for me. Overly complicated, isometric motorbike game. We must travel around the ruins of the old, 20, old M25 for reasons. And having travelled on the M25, I can attest that it's not Yorkshire pudding brown. That's for sure. Um, and I can see that well, happening you, even you, far into the future. will be because there's nobody's services working on there, though. <laughs> the only thing, only good thing about this was the music. Uh, the in-game tune is a bit annoying, but the high score tune by Matt Gray was great. I really like yeah, the it was good. Yeah, yeah. Second, second one. This, this, this part. The rest of this is not something that engaged me. It's fast, yeah, but it's kind of a pointless and it's very repetitive. You never feel like you're slowing down or speeding up, and the controls are annoying. And quite often, I just seem to die for no real reason that I could discern. I just yep. died. You just die. Like, oh. I thought the high-risk sprites were a mess. And your sprite looks like someone has been sick over a black outline. Is the best way I can describe it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that is a motorbike-shaped outline. Yeah, yeah so you've, you've got a motorbike, and then someone's vomited over it, and because they've coloured outside the outline, so <laughs> it's like the hey. I just don't understand. When we look at Combat School and Octopolis, and see the sprite <laughs> You've got working the lines. <laughs> and we see this. No, just no. No. And and then the enemies are all just single colour. They've not even bothered to fill them in. It's like, it's because like, it's it really annoys me when you've got these high res sprites that are not filled in against a solid world. And yeah, we've seen um, that before with motorbike game as well. Yeah, we saw it with things like Athena and things like that. It's just, no. Enduro Racer? Don't do it. Um, no, Enduro Racer. Oh, no, Enduro Racer had single colour fat sprites. They were just horrible, yeah, weren't right. they? <laughs> yeah. Um, just no, no, no. I find this boring, dull, repetitive, and too brown for my taste. Just take it away, remove it from my plate, and bring me something with colour that is drawn inside the lines. Do not make games based on the M25 because nobody wants to go there anyway. <laughs> no, it's a nightmare. It's nothing but but traffic problems. Yeah, you're never going this fast, and 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 just it's just a stupid <laughs> idea. So true. You're never going to go that fast on the M25 ever. No, it's just a stupid idea. Shit streak, as I said. Yeah. There you go. I may be being mean, but it, this just annoyed me because it was crap. Because the thing, like I said, I can't be doing with games that just keep killing me for no reason. I agree. I'm like trying different things. And also it's, you know, trying trying to do the things that my, I'd sometimes be able to pull off. Like, oh, I, I dropped oil. Okay. Oh, I managed to fire a massive dildo. Okay. How do I do that again? <laughs> How do I do that again? You mean you wanted to? Uh, look, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's the only interesting thing about this game. <laughs> true, 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 true. I wanted to ram a giant dildo up the behind of those bikes. That's right what the I wanted to do. Pipe. Absolutely. Smack, smack on in. 12-inch rib nobbler straight up the backseat. <laughs> And I couldn't. Now, why didn't they put that on the box? Never mind this <laughs> nonsense, this futuristic nonsense. Put that on there. They'd have made a motorbike game where you were throwing dildos at each other. I'd have bought into that more than this futuristic nonsense. So that sounds more like a triple M25 to me. But I couldn't do it with any uh, reliable repetitions, though. It annoyed me. I could do it once, but never again. <laughs> You know, visceral thrill. I want to keep doing it. I want more of that. Not this nonsense. Yep. Ah, rubbish. Away with you, mean streak. Stupid name as well and crap title screen. Um, like you said, rubbish. Let's move on quickly. Ugh. <sighs> 
All right, so next up, this is uh, Airborne Ranger from those uh, boffins at Micro. It's $14.99 on cassette. It's a heavy price. It's, it's a heavy price to pay. <laughs> if you pay if, if you pay it, <laughs> you'll be next. <laughs> uh, they ask a high price. Uh, so this comes from Micro Software, and it's essentially their version of Commando Rambo type type thing. They've gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've had a go at this. In their words, if you believe the manual, this is a combat action simulation. And the developers who wrote in it, in the manual, that is, uh, said they wanted to create something that was a more complex experience with a greater dynamic range than your average arcade shooter. That's direct from the manual. That's not me. And I suppose that's usually the way with micro simulations and the approach to this type of game is no different. If you think, you know, this manual's oh chunky. We'll get to that in a bit. I mean, and we'll talk, we'll put a link. We should we think we should put a link to the, these manuals in the show notes. We'll do this in oh, we'll do. We'll do as well. But the manual has like. It's got the history of the Rangers going all the way back to the 18th century in it. Wouldn't be a Microprose game without that, would it? It even outlines the types of training modern for then, so the 1980s Rangers had to go through to qualify, to get, you know, to pass as a Ranger. Jeez. Christ, this goes into, there's copious amounts of stuff in there. And afterwards, I believe I had what it took to be a Ranger. And then I stubbed my toe and gave it all up and ate a biscuit. Well, after you've read this, you have to sign the Official Secrets Act. <laughs> well, there was that too. I still wanted my biscuit though. Anyway, this was designed and developed by Iris Lee Idacoggi, Idacoggi, she did visuals, Scott Spanberg on software development, Lawrence Schick on game design, and Ken Lagace, Lagasse on sound and music. Anyway, when the game loads up, you're presented with some options. So you've got options to use a predefined ranger. You can load an old one, so just load up a ranger that you've managed to get through missions and stuff, or you can create a new one, a new one of your own. So basic, so we've already created some Load of an old one to create a new one. Up to you. Well, off you go. Once you do that, you must select your mission from one of the 12 offered. They, they, they do follow a quite a um, predictable pattern, these type of games, because it's very similar to that PHM Pegasus, very yeah, similar yeah, to yeah. Good Ship. These kind of simulations, you have this sort of opening bit, and then you pick a mission and you go for it. And that's the same here. This is that, it's cut from that same cloth. So you've got 12 missions. These are in order. You can destroy a munitions depot. You can steal a code book. You can disable enemy aircraft. You can capture an enemy officer. You can cut a pipeline, which isn't a euphemism. You can knock out enemy radar array. You can disable a SAM site. You can liberate a POW camp. You can photograph an experimental aircraft. You can free the hostages. You can create a diversion, or you can do delayed sabotage. 12 missions. You can do any of those. Now, all of these are rated 1 to 3 on the challenge level scale. That's the challenge level scale, Graham. That's the best scale. It is, with one offering the least challenge and three offering the highest, and two being the creamy middle. Mm. However, after choosing a mission, you then have a slider bar to alter the mission difficulty. And with this, you can take the challenge level all the way up to nine if you are so inclined. That's the no, hardest. No. That's the hardest of hard. No, one's hard enough. Yeah, so it just tells you if you want to increase the difficulty so you can put it up. You know, you put it, if it starts at three, you can go five, seven, nine. It's like that. It, yeah. If, you, if you're feeling that way, if you're feeling a little bit red saucy. Pressing fire once more and you are taken to the mission briefing where you are told what to do, the weather. Um, so essentially that means whether it's going to be a green, yellow or white level. So, you know, don't really change much from that. And any hazards or things you must not, you must do or not do to complete the mission. So essentially you go do this. It's going to be this kind of weather and also make sure you don't alert the guards make sure you don't blow up the pillboxes make sure you don't set off any mines or anything like that that's the, you know to, to complete the mission properly uh once memorized you click fire um and the mission loads in now there is a bit of a problem here because you can't go back i found so once you've picked a mission you're in it <laughs> I, I, whether i missed a, an option there but i couldn't see anything pressing escape pressing so run stop trying to go back or anything like that just i couldn't go back so you better you know pick your mission you're in you know you're going in that's I know it. what you're doing yeah. 
you. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not like I think Gunship and stuff I, I gave you the option to back out and things like that if you didn't like the idea of it. I think that's a bit of an oversight on this because like if you first first time in, I mean you might just go through them all in order, but you might just choose number eight just to see what it is, and they're like, oh, I'm doing number eight, am I? Okay, well you're in. So anyway. Barring what you click fired, the mission loads in. So it, it's all multi load, it's all disc, uh, all cassettes, something, but you know, it's a multi load game again. Now, barring the visual change from green to yellow to white to define the weather, it's kind of here that you realize that all missions kind of follow the same pattern and logical order. So essentially, what happens is this you start you start by controlling. So the game loads up and you get a sort of top down view of the level that you're going to go down, and you're at the top of the level, so it'll scroll downwards, and you start by controlling what well, it's a pretty simplistic plain graphics plain sprite there's nothing to it it's just a plain sprite and it's flying downwards over the map you're about to go through so the map's scrolling downwards you're flying downwards and as it goes you you can control it move it left and right and you press fire and that will drop one of the th- three supply crates that you position in the map to to help you through the to get to you know as, you, as you're playing it to get to all the way back up there so careful positioning of the supply drops is needed because you know you get to them because they will resupply you and, and so you don't want to put them in treacherous positions or places where there's loads of gunfire loads of enemies and stuff you want to put them places where they can get to them so you, you, this is kind of free form you place them wherever you want you press them fire immediately if you want just put them all at the top that'd be stupid but you can't it's completely up to you as this map scrolls down the plane reaches the bottom of the map you get the alert it's like the, there's a little black square on the screen and you're wondering what that's for but you get this starts to flash with a green arrow and and that's your alert to bail out so you press fire again and your little guy we well, don't really see we just see the parachute plane disappears and the parachute appears and starts to float down towards the ground uh, and you can also control the direction of that so you can head off to the left or the right if you didn't think you're in the right position and so you'll float 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 and you'll 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 land on the you'll land on the ground and what's landed the mission begins okay so now whereas that was a sort of bird's eye view a top a very sort of god god view of the of the level of the mission of the level uh for the plane one now we're on the ground and now we're much more closer now we're in kind of commando rambo style visual styling the one good thing about this though before the mission begins is that the the maps themselves they're randomly generated from pre-made blocks so the levels are always different and that's you know that's a good thing age replayability you're never going to do the same mission you know even though if you put the same mission it's going to be a different map so trying to do it again you know there's difficulty there and putting those difficulty sliders up it's tricky you know so that's quite nice that's good a good idea so on the ground you control your range and like i said this looks it's not too dissimilar to something like rambo or commando it's that kind of look you so your your ranger is center of the screen the landscape around them is seen kind of from a force perspective you know three-quarter view as you scroll up and you can move left and right and and, and all that so but what the difference is here is that you don't uh, is the control method is very different to what you normally get in your Rambo Commando style games. Whereas it's an eight-way control system, you don't do that here. You don't so much as control your ranger. You rather you control a crosshair that is kind of a, you know a little bit of a distance away from you, and you control that by rotating it around the ranger. So wherever that that is, your ranger will be facing, and you do that by pushing it in any direction. So even if it's bottom right, if you then push straight to the left, it'll rotate around him, and then as, when it gets to where you are, I think it'll stop, um, and your ranger will then be facing that direction. So you you kind of got more you've got more than the eight way directions you can normally get in these games it's about i don't know maybe about 32 ways you know you can go there's quite a lot and so this, you're looking that way once the crosshair and the ranger turns to face the direction you're pushing and you help keep you keep pushing in direction they'll start to move in that direction so it's not an instant left right up down corners movement thing you've got to kind of think about this a bit you have to turn to to 
to go in the direction you want to go. So that plays into this microprose sort of simulation style. This is not, it doesn't feel arcadey. It feels more considered. You have to kind of, you know, choose where you want to go um, and choose the direction you want to go in with a bit more care. You can press the space bar as well um, to go prone. So that lays you down and you start crawling on in all fours, um, you know, laying down on prone. You can also press up on the cursor keys to go from, got three movement speeds when you stood up and it goes from walk to jog to sprint. Um, and so you can do them, you know, as you want. Um, aside from the cursor, you've got to be careful because sprinting is louder, enemies will hear you. It's, it's that it's stealthy. This is a stealth. This is in some ways a bit of a stealth game. So aside from the cursor on the screen, the UI is pretty sparse. Uh, there's not a lot else on there. All that's in there is in the top left of the screen. And displayed here is the weapon you are holding um, and the ammo that that weapon has left. Next to this is like an empty square. And that uh, this square is split vertically down the middle. The left of the square fills up as you move. It's your stamina bar. Um, and it fills up quicker if you sprint and if you walk. Once it, if it fills up, if, if it should fill up, you've got to rest to get it back down. So you can't move as fast. You can't continue sprinting. Walking fills it up slowly. So you have to, you know, you've got to pace yourself. This is not a, you know, charge around full pelt all the time. If you do, you're going to run out and then you'll be slower to actually react to enemies appear. The right of the square is split into three. So there's three, three blocks. Uh, and this is basically your health. If you take a shot from an enemy, one of those squares will turn white. The bottom will turn white. Take another shot, the middle one will turn white. If all three turn white, you're dead and it's mission over. That's it. So you can take, essentially, you can get three, take three shots uh, and that's it. Uh, you can press the F keys, which chooses your other weapons. Uh, you press F1. That's your assault rifle. F3 is for grenades. F5 for missile launcher and F7 for the knife. Uh, and that's, you know, your stealthy knife weapon um you can also press the delete key uh and this will heal you if you have any medikits left and it removes also removes one hit from your ui so if you've been shot twice it'll remove one if you've shot once it'll clear it out okay remember as you move upwards you can find your supply drops those things you dropped in the opening section and these replenish your ammo and your medkits so you kind of want to find them because you're going to be firing a lot and you're going to need to heal up a bit so you, you, it's important that you know where they are if you press run stop at any time it brings up a map and pauses the game and that you can scroll the map up and down left and right and that's quite good because you, you can see where you are and you can see what other stuff is around everything's sort of uh, represented on the map by little crosses and X's and other sort of graphical little bits so you can kind of try and work your way um, which way you want to go it, looking out for mines and stuff like that I blew myself up on a mine as well and that was game over so you know, there's all that and that's quite good I suppose all this sounds great in theory the main issue is that you just find yourself really much doing the same thing over and over and yes the map is random but once you've flown over a few of them and there are different objectives yes there are different objectives you know you've got all those 12 missions to go on but once you've flown over a few of them you realise that the map is just the same load of trenches minefields pillboxes to try and get around and this lack of variety makes the game start to you know pale it starts to droop somewhat you feel a bit oh it's another you know, okay the visuals on the sprites are okay uh, your I thought your ranger is quite nice and it's got a good animation and there's you know it's not just up down left right in the corners because he's got this sort of turning animation and the way he walks and the way he's animated and runs it's, it's kind of a little it's kind of a bit odd but it looks quite nice I thought it was quite nice they're functional and attractive but they work and it's the same it's the same sort of sprites for the enemies that and they come wandering around and there are enemies and they react to noise and that's one of the problems here the other issue is you're advised to go in quiet a lot of the time you want to go in quietly there's only you and there's lots of enemies and so you don't want to attract attention but whilst i tried this and i scooted around and there's there's like dips in the grounds like gullies and stuff that you can sort of crawl down and things like that and try and keep out the way of people and stuff like that they've got a they're very good at spotting you which is a bit annoying and so i tried this and i tried taking people out with the knife which it says to do the enemy unfortunately the enemy would just see you there was one bit i managed to hide for one around a rock sort of rock face and he kind of walked around sort of had a look and then wandered back off and that was quite nice it does actually work but most time they just know you're there and they just open fire and they seem to like i said have a pretty natural ability to know where i was even when i was crawling through a gully at one point there's no way he could see me but just knew i was there and just came stumbling in and started shooting and that renders 
you know a bit of a problem because they're shooting and suddenly now everyone knows here's the shooting and so your attempts at stealth are now buggered somewhat i found because you you know just enemies just pile on in and you're trying to shoot them before you know it, you've been hit three times and it's game over you're like uh okay and this renders what you know the, the, and there's a problem here it renders what could have been a good stealth game into something less than what it could be there's a real good framework for gaming it's just missing one thing it needs more ui or a radar it needs a radar to show where the enemy soldiers were something like metal gear solid does something like that so what games would do when they do these stealth games you need to have information about what else is on the battlefield in order to plan your stealth attack properly and that's the main problem here because the viewpoint is rambo commando style screen space that's what you kind of see but the map is much bigger and so there's enemies off screen that you don't know are there and so that's a, you can't you can't plan to know where the enemies because you don't know they are and in a game built on stealth it's a big issue you know if you imagine what your soldier can see you know they're looking out on a viewpoint and if this is in 3d that you'd be able to see them you'd be able to see where people were and everything like that but as a player because it's got that top-down view you can't see them so it needed something to aid you in navigating the world and making this into a much more interesting game there's the core of a really good game here i like the control mechanism as it offers that more fluidity than just the eight-way move and fire but it's hamstrung by the similarity of the location which get a bit samey after a while um and the and the real lack of ability to play it stealthily because you can't if you don't know what's in the environment you can't react to it and then you can't plan and you can't be stealthy what this could have been really something excellent it's just a it's another long line of nearly games that we've kind of looked at there's just something there it's kind of doing something which you'll see in maybe other games coming along but it needed that to it needed something to allow you to know where enemies were even if it was just dots around moving around the edge or something to let you know where en- there was enemies there and it got closer or they got bigger and they got thinking and maybe they'd seen you and they turned red if they saw you there's ways and ways of doing this but this doesn't do any of that and so your your ability to play it is is kind of to play it as the game kind of I feel that the game wanted you to do there's not enough information given to you as the player to allow you to do that and that's a bit of a shame because I do like the idea of this and I do like the presentation and I do like the look of it and then the notion of going and doing these stealthy stuff and blowing stuff up and checking down mines and stuff and everything like that there's one of the missions where it goes oh you've got to photograph the aircraft or do something to the aircraft and it says right don't make any noise because the aircraft will take off they'll hear you and they'll take off so you won't be able to do it and then I got going and then the enemy just found me just started shooting and it's like well that's the noise I'm done and I, I couldn't plan for it and so it felt like oh, you're the game is against you in, in ways that it really shouldn't be and that annoyed me but and that you know because I thought there's a good game here it's just just lacking that thing for me and and it's a shame but you might like you might you might get some more of it I don't know what did you, what did you think to this yeah very similar experience it's kind of an eight an, an almost an almost run eight bit Tom Clancy isn't it really this mm-hmm. it's the eight bit Tom Clancy version of you know, thinking man's Rambo Ghost Bambo. Recon Rainbow Six yeah 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 it's, it's like an eight bit Ghost Recon really in a, in a kind of way in the in the kind of seriousness of it yeah I, I thought there was a good little game in here there's no doubt about that there's loads of little details that make this quite interesting aside from the stupid price which is just stupid you know but you are getting a 48 page book with it essentially and yeah it's so, the ranges yeah and all of that and so you're going to get the big field manual which is you know and all the rest of it but i liked the tone of this game um it's it's obviously not an arcade run and gun it's a tactical game and that made it a little bit more interesting than just a standard arcade there the graphics in the game i thought worked quite well i liked that control of the main airborne ranger the, the, the dropping the parachuting the stuff bit was a bit rudimentary but okay it is what it is but the actual when you get to the sort of the you know the infiltration part or whatever you know the way you're controlling the ranger that like you say good and quite an interesting control system the stealth options are pointless as you rightly point out um and it is missing a view, isn't it? Like, just like Pegasus was missing a view. This is missing a view. It's missing a radar, a personalized radar view so you can see, get a, 
a picture of what is around you. Because without that, 90% of the, the missions you go on are almost rendered impossible. You're just going to have to go in guns blazing at some point, no matter what anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I liked the way you controlled it. I thought the graphics were quite good. And as with the Pegasus game, in kind of a really weird similarity, lots of scenarios to try your hand at, but scenarios that play at the same game logic over and over again, which is a bit repetitive and I think would lead to limitations. I think this, the difference with Pegasus is that that was just repetitive, but there was still, the missions were quite doable here. I think if you just like take Pegasus, but take the radar away, um, you're not really going to know what's around you at any point. And that is a big problem for a game that's reliant on that. I think that's the real, real Mr. Mr. Trick. Mm. It surprises me that for people as fastidious about details in their games that they've really missed that. Unless I'm playing it in a way that's obtuse and, and I'm missing something, but I, I w- went through like you did, tried to go prone and hide and it just it seemed impossible. They had the, the same kind of dexterity with their eyes that they, remember the original Far Cry and how there was no escaping the sharpshooters in that <laughs> game. Yeah. It reminded me of that. No matter where you go and hide, they'll see you. No matter what, they'll even see through rocks, buildings. You know, I don't know. A bit annoying, that really. So I thought there was such good makings of something that could have been really, really good, just hampered by the missing bits of logic that would otherwise have really made it really quite interesting. Because the idea of the, the maps that regenerate in different ways, the idea of all of that is quite interesting. And you, you have to sort of make your way through. Remember, you can take the same character through all these different things as well. So you can actually build one character and take them all the way through the game. I like that. That's a really nice idea. It reminded me of um, the Sensible Software cannon fodder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like that. And that's a good idea. There's nothing wrong Mm. with that. That's a great idea. So, you know, you might get an affinity and want, and that makes you want to care about the character that you're playing and you want to keep them alive. But, you know, you are going to end up going gung-ho Rambo in this at some with really not by not by choice and it's, it was frustrating because you, you can bring that map up and if the map showed enemy soldiers positions around you yeah. they would at least you would have something going all right and so you could cut to the map right they're there all right yeah. there's someone over there i need to go this way yeah um and and sort of showed where they were looking or a viewpoint but there's Absolutely. nothing on that map that shows you where any people are and it's the people that cause the problems yeah it's like it's like they've 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 gone for this uh, combat action simulator and then also tried to play into the Commando Rambo style of shooting as well. And they've not fully committed to going, actually, no, we've got to eliminate all that. You know, people are wandering about. There's, there's guards and stuff and they'll go on patrols and things like that. We're just going to running about. Well, I thought it missed, it missed planning. So, you know, in the games, like you tend to have waypoints and things like that where you on a map you would plan yeah. positions and things. So, you, so then you'd be running towards a certain target with a compass and, and then, you know, your yeah, r- exactly. radar view would sort of show you the enemies that are around the area so you could sort of navigate through your waypoints and it sort of makes sense to do it like that it, it's missing those things though um which is a shame because i think it's taken a game that would have been in the open 90s to the, in a zap view they gave it the 70s i think it's probably about the same it's the same kind of problem that phm and pegasus had so and they're about the same score for zap 71 73 i, get, I think this is 73 i think its price is ridiculous for what it is um but mm. it's a shame i think you've got a lot of it's a lot less throwaway in this game i suppose you know it requires a bit more of you than just going in and blasting things but inevitably you kind of you kind of pushed into that regardless such a shame great yeah. great idea here great idea just missing the key bits that would have really really made it brilliant so what a shame I, I, did, yeah. I did like what i played but like you i felt hamstrung by the things that i needed and yes. knowing that they were never going to be there i thought what a shame if i'd have had that i could have been playing that for a lot longer absolutely you need to have the same information that your player character has and you don't yes absolutely yeah yeah man and it, it, and it is a massive omission without a yeah. doubt I think so. There we go. We have our Ranger. Close one, but you know, eh, it is. Let's move along because we've got a great one up next. <laughs> (laughs) 
Graham, did you? How did you get on with Inspector Gadget? I didn't get on with it. I didn't. I'm <laughs> going to say this right from the get go. This this game is utter shit. <laughs> Absolute shite. It's coded by. Well, you know what? I'm not sure exactly who coded it. It says BDL in the 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 blurb that was on Lemon, but I've also got some indications from the games that weren't that it was Don Havelberg and Ian Chia. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. I think it's Beam something to do with Beam software. I don't know. I'm not 100 sure. But what doesn't matter any because I'm pretty pretty sure whoever did this would never want to be actually attributed to it. (laughs) So um, let's just roll roll things to one side. Let's take the game to one side inspector gadget is an animated comedy science fiction i guess but comedy uh, police detective comedy thing vehicle that was a cartoon show in the mid 80s um he's basically a cyborg police inspector who works for a secret police organization that combats crime and most of their missions are trying to thwart a deadly criminal organization called mad which stands for mean and dirty apparently um maybe and the nefarious dr claw who is um obviously trying to get gadget um <laughs> with his agents and things I'll get you next time, Gadget, or whatever it is, he says. So despite the fact that Inspector Gadget is equipped with numerous things to help him, Gadget's built into his kind of, you know, cyborg suit, whatever, he's actually an incompetent idiot in the mode of kind of Inspector Clouseau. Mm-hmm. So he's a robo-Clouseau. <laughs> Um, and none of his gadgets actually he never really uses them properly they always kind of break or don't do the right thing at the right time so he's never really solving the mission he just kind of bimbles about doing stupid stuff the actual brains behind it are his niece Penny and the dog brains who actually kind of look out for the inspector who more more often than not inadvertently solves the crime by just you know happening to do something stupid in the right way but at the wrong time or the wrong way in the right way that's the kind of the shtick of the cartoon show though it's fun no that's fun that you're watching Inspector Gadget bumble his way through this inspection even though he's not really doing it and he's sort of you know things blow up he's got you know go he says go go gadget whatever and he's got a helicopter comes out of his head or his roller blades come out of his feet and all that kind of stuff great animation fodder great fodder for a game isn't it very a good robotic yeah. I mean, police officer that solves crimes with a with a dog and his niece and has loads of gadgets that he could find and utilize and leverage and he's got springs that can make him jump higher you don't really have to try hard to think about how you could make a game out of that even no. if that was just a description and you didn't have all of the iconography, animation style, graphics, you know, and exact all the look and feel and everything, and even the stories and all of the everything. We said it many, many times about these cartoon-based licensed games. Everything is there for you to do. Everything something good is with. there. You don't have to try hard. If somebody says, "Can you make a game from Inspector Gadget?" Your first question is, "Can you give me the cells of animation so I can make it look like that?" You know, could you give me a couple of the episodes to work from so I can get a handle on this? You know, he's not, he doesn't. He don't have to try hard. So that's kind of. It was a very popular syndicated cartoon show, Inspector Gadget. Mm. It went right around the world. Again, it's another one that was made by Dick Entertainment, I think. Um, and as I said to you in our message message stream, now the Dick Entertainment website probably got a lot of traffic for the wrong reasons, but that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> it's DIC. Uh, anyway, so Inspector Gadget, and I actually like the Inspector Gadget. It's got a really catchy opening theme, you know, do 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 do, Inspector Gadget, do 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 do. You know, everyone knows that, and it's even yep. been made into movies. I think Matthew Broderick's in the movies, isn't he? Yeah, there's two Quite of them. Famous, I think, isn't there? famous. Yes, see, it's lots of complex CG, very early, not early CG, early-ish CG, but really complicated, clever stuff, good, yeah, good yeah. stuff, you know. So, you know, mileage in that. What It all goes wrong with this game. It all goes wrong for a number of reasons. So the idea of the game is that an international circus has come to town and there's been a load of mysterious disappearances. Obviously, Inspector Gadget is called in to help. Once his involvement is discovered, Penny and Brains are kidnapped, making it just about Inspector Gadget. Now, how many times have we said, do not split up the main characters of the game? Inspector Gadget, 
gadget of the cartoon show. Inspector Gadget does not work if it's just the inspector because he's the one that does the stupid stuff. Penny and Brains are the one that actually solve things. It'd be like just having a Scooby-Doo game and just having Scooby-Doo as a character. Oh, wait, they did that. And what about if it's just a, it's just a Thundercats game with one Thundercat? Oh, wait, they did that. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute, it's a Danger Mouse game. Oh, wait, they did that. How many times? Um, Yogi Bear. There's so many of these games where you take a cartoon that has a specific dynamic and functionality and then shatter all that into some stupid idea by splitting the main characters apart. It doesn't work. And wouldn't that mask one as well where we had to go find all the rest of the team and stuff <laughs> exactly exactly my point even the transformers did it no i mean i suppose at least there was more than one transformer in it but you know and they, yeah, they, they, they were they the aldi at, ones but they did look happy about it but you know <laughs> they weren't but you get you get my point is that so in this story so it, when at the point when brains and penny have been kidnapped so we're leaving it to just be inspector gadget you then have to sort of make your way through some very it says side scrolling in the blurb they the flip screen right so the flip I think screen horribly flip screen so, and i think that's because this actually the game that was released was not the game that was actually purported and demoed out there there's two things and we'll come to the the discussion we can have about the games that weren't revelations yeah, yeah. about that so the idea of this is that you in this game is that you you've got to solve this particular the, it, wander around a circus in flick screen circus there's various obstacles if they touch you you just transport back to the screen you were on you are a sort of inspector gadget squat inspector gadget badly drawn sprite in a really horrible bland badly drawn medium res chunky series of backgrounds that are supposed to be a circus but I'm not really sure what the hell they are with a, a midget no. strongman you've got <laughs> obstacles that y- y- you can't just push up and down the controls are weird if you push up it goes diagonally up like why why (laughs) why why just why why because it makes no sense to do it to try and nap these doors you can go into so you can go into rooms and the idea is you're searching for your gadgets which have been transported around it serves no purpose because you can't use them or at least I couldn't find a way of using them and then the, I, I think at some point when you get all the gadgets you then have to pick up the, the random character things it, it, the whole concept of this game literally falls apart in front of you in front of your eyes mm-hmm. so I'll admit there's a Inspector Gadgety looking thing you get past this very basic title screen with the, okay half decent version of the Inspector Gadget music on it but you get past this very rudimentary screen, screen. there's no intro sequence or anything else at this particular on this version so you get through that and then you present with the gadget thing you want wandering through this flick screen world trying to you know zigzag your way to a door and then try and avoid the things if they touch <laughs> you just transport it back to where you started from in a really frustrating way mm-hmm. so and sometimes you'll go off the screen and if if by chance the, the object that's on some kind of patrol in the next screen happens to touch you but you might not know that because you won't know what's on the next screen you just tra- instantly transport it back to where you were straight away boom yep and it's just it's mindless frustrating stupidity there is no thought to this this is a clear panic-stricken money grab now now, there's no more to, to even say about this game. It's got 9% in Zap. This version of this game is a horror. It's a horror of a thing. It should never have been released. It's a it's a slap across the face to any Inspector Gadget fans, but also to people who who, who would have paid, what is it, full price for this? Eight ninety five for this piece yeah, of crap? nine quid. It is utterly, utterly, utterly shit. Pound for every so, percent. So it, it's, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work as an Inspector Gadget game. It doesn't work as a game. There is no game here. You are just wandering around trying to avoid things that will one shot you back to your starting point trying to pick things up that you can't some searching for things that maybe you'll have something in that don't have any purpose serve no purpose nor can you really even if you navigate try and hold the button down and press the controls to navigate the icons at the bottom where you've collected don't do anything this just seems to have no purpose this game i did manage to use my gun did you find a gun i got yeah i got to use the gun yeah but again what purpose does it serve because what do you what are you meant to do i could never really get more than two or three screens before i was beamed back to the opening screen by just by 
pure accident, not by something that I bumped into, but by the fact that I went to the screen and the character that was on that screen just happened to be at the exact yeah. point where yeah, I was coming yeah, on. Yeah. It happened so many times. I thought, you know what? No more of this utter crap. Anyway, I did a little bit of research because I thought this has got to be an entry in the games that weren't. It has to be. And lo and behold, there it was. So essentially, uh, this game was being developed by both Don Haverberg and Ian Cheer and was nearing completion. This is from the Games That Work website, by the way, which is a brilliant mm-hmm. website, gamesthatwork.com. Um, it was nearing completion when disaster struck. Towards the end, there was a bug that kept crashing the game. And unfortunately, after many head bang- banging of heads, developers could not find what was causing it. Andrew Davis who worked at Beam Software recalls sitting with Don Haverberg for many hours trying to find the issue and they were chasing the bug around the system. The deadline loomed, Melbourne House had to concede defeat and so new developers were quickly drafted in to knock out a quick effort which was the dire arcade adventure game that we played, that Zap played for this. Which is, they've put dire probably because it's rushed. I think rushed is an understatement. That could have taken, could have taken no more than a week. It is utterly awful. In fact, maybe less. So they've put, the quite sickening fact is that Soon after the contract was passed over to another development team, the developers of the original game found what was causing the bug and fixed it and then finished the game. But they confirmed that because uh, they'd already confirmed that it was done, it was never released. By the way, the bug that they found was a CLI instruction missing from the assembler code. That was it. (laughs) So what we get is a broken piece of garbage, badly animated in two frame maybe animations at best. Really oddly drawn Inspector Gadget that kind of scoots around badly, not doing anything. As I've already described, there's no more game logic to it than that. I've found this such an annoying experience. I can't tell you how frustrated and angry it made me. You're sort of trying to move this thing and you're trying I found I was actually trying to make myself find a game in it but I think you know there must be something more to do than this than me zigzag around and I thought there must be more to this no there isn't so you die up well, you die you whatever you, you you vanish transport whatever arbitrarily you can't really do anything in it it's not it's just it's just utterly terrible now on that games that weren't website there's actually they talk about the original game that was there was a demo put out at some to, at some level of the precursor the original one that was developed the original inspector gadget and you can actually download from their website a zip file which contains the the missing in the you know the intro sequence that never was with the music in it and a, de- a de- very basic demo of what the Inspector Gadget game looked like on the mm. C64, which is also, by the way, the version that was released, I think, for other platforms. So the Amstrad and the Spectrum version got a better version of Inspector Gadget than the C64 did. Oh. And I can tell you that the the demo, I think you, I think I put it in our download area if you, if you yeah, had a look it, at it. Yeah, yeah. Had a look at it. So the demo, albeit that it was obviously very unfinished and in its very early in an early stage, and so it's nowhere near finished, but the demo played out as a better Inspector Gadget game even in that short little demo than this crappy version that they released it would have been better off releasing that and just trying to finish it than, than wait rather than rush out that piece of gut crap yep. the music wasn't too bad the intro sequence was actually pretty good it actually was the intro sequence to Inspector Gadget it kind of worked yeah, big graphics bold Really nice animated Inspector Gadget logo where the letters fall down and he lands on his head and forms the eye of Inspector. All of that was in there. And that's straight from the cartoon show. So that kind of worked and the music was timed kind of right and uh, that was pretty good. That was what should have been developed fully and made into Inspector Gadget game. This is an absolute, it's an absolute ripoff. It's just awful. This should never have been released. Shame on Melbourne House for even doing that. It's a disgrace. It should, Zap should have been brave again and given this damn thing a zero because it is crap. It's mm. not. It's a broken piece of rubbish. It is not a game. It's not even a demo. The demo is, it, it's just nothing. It's, it's just 
utterly shameful. And I found it so frustrating that yet again, a good cartoon license with all of the trappings that come with something like that. And a popular one, remember, this is not you know, some half-assed cartoon show. This is a massively syndicated popular show. Mm. was just turned into something crap in the same way they did it with 2000 AD and loads of others. Melbourne House should, should just be stripped of their abilities at this point. They should not be allowed to release these things like that. A quality threshold, trading standards even, should have stepped in and gone, no, 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 you can't, you can't put this out there. This is nothing. Yes, we'll agree that it's got some kind of Inspector Gadget character in it, but this is not a game. This is just crap. And I think that it's just such a rip-off. People would have paid good money for that aid um, back in the day because they might have liked Inspector Gadget. Can you imagine the tears of all the kids when they loaded that up and they saw that piece of crap? No. Shame on you, Melbourne House. That is utterly, utterly, utterly terrible thing to do. I think it's awful. Did you like it? <laughs> no. I mean, I, I didn't know the stuff about the games that weren't. I knew about the preview version. I just I didn't know what the background to it was. I figured that there might have been another game in development. But, you know, I just put what were Melbourne House thinking when they shat this out? It makes Asterix look state-of-the-art. It does lull you into thinking it might be good when it starts. So it's a pretty good version of the Inspector Gadget theme on the title screen. I, I quite like that piece of music. Jazz Brook, I think it is. Um, I thought it's a pretty decent version. There's an also there's a very there's an also very good version in the games that weren't version as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the, <laughs> the ironic thing is that I think I mentioned to you, the ironic thing about this is that so often with these licensed games, we're like, you finished it and what you've, you, where's the music? Like, so many of these cartoon games have iconic music and so many yeah. of them don't use it. This one does and actually has a good version of it. And it's yeah. the rest of it that's all, you know, all got, and now I know why. I didn't know all about the other stuff, but yeah, I mean, I get, do you know what this reminds me of think, looking at that? And actually the way it plays and the way it feels, it reminds me of E.T. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, you know, the six weeks to develop that and no time and nothing like that. But also the way that, you know, just a flick screen, zapping back and forth, no real thought to it, collecting objects. CT. It's this yeah, game yeah, yeah. is ET. It's got it, you know, it's awful. It's awful from start to finish. I don't know why you walk at an angle like you're in an ultimate game for no reason. Nope. No reason. Makes don't get it. Switching to your inventory is a twitchy nightmare. Yep. Um to the awful jingle that plays to the fact, you know, that plays through the game, not the title screen on you get killed just for entering a room. This horror is deep in this one. Eight pound ninety five, nine pound. That's nine one percent for every pound. As we've said it before about Melbourne House, this is a stillborn house one. It bloody well is. Um awful. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, okay, you, you dead deadline must have been looming but you still should have looked at what they then did in and gone oh, do you know what no no yeah, we, can't, yeah. we can't put this out but they put it out they did and oh my god it's awful what a terrible thing what a strange throughout story terrible. as well terrible interesting to see what that other one would have been out like finished like well, you, yeah, you that, can look at, look at the Spectrum version the Spectrum version's a good indicator of what it could have been like it's not perfect but it's certainly better than that it can't be any worse no it can't oh dear there we go Inspector Gadget ass. <laughs> Let's move on quickly. Let's get out of that one. Getting something good, maybe, for our last game of the week. Oh, there we go. And our last one is another big sizzler. This is Skate or Die. Skate or Die has got 92%. It is £10. So in the heat of the 80s, skateboarding was riding a crest of a popularity wave and whilst this isn't the first skateboarding game we have played, it's probably the first to try and lean into the culture for a lot of the feel and imagery of the game, I thought. Just really just try and sort of... Yeah, totally. You know, you know try and get that feel of, of, of skateboarding in, in, in sort of uh, the West of America. Uh, it's from EA. It's got coding by David Bunch and Stephen Landrum, graphics by Michael Kosaka, and music by Rob Hubbard and Kyle Grain 
Danger, I'll speak about the music a bit later, Kosaka and Landrum had both worked at Epics on games like Pit Stop 2, Supercycle, and World Games. And you can tell from the quality of the visuals and polish in this game. Can't you just? It re- you really can. There's no, there's no two ways around it. You know, those guys know what to do in this kind of game. It starts with an excellent title screen, really nice title screen, a sort of kid on a skateboard, and it's got a thumping Hubbard tune. Not one of not no not don't really not familiar with it, but I really enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, uh, it's a good it's a good crack that one. Yeah, really good thumping cupboard tune that one. Um, it fits the game, you know. It's his and I think this this is is this his first tune for EA? Is this when he'd actually gone mm, over there? Had he gone to possibly, work for them yeah. at this point? I looked through the his sort of discography as, as much as I could sort of find out timeline. I mean, Mr. Abbott will probably well, be able to I'm tell us for sure. I'll, I'll rub my uh, Chris Abbott ball. <laughs> um, careful I say that I'll, yeah. I'll rub my Chris Abbott crystal ball <laughs> right now and summon him <laughs> Chris if you're out there let's hope when, did skate, <laughs> when did Skator die a Rob Hubbard music when did, was he at EA when he did that was that the first one I'll see if, we, see if it, you know, a response might happen, might happen it might happen yeah okay so we'll see if we can get that in there Rob Hubbard did Skate or Die in 1987, but then he went to EA in the States in uh, September, October 1987 and created a retail version of his driver. So the first pieces he did on EA soil were sample one, two and three that were demonstrating that driver. Then he came back to the UK and went back to the States in 1988 after they offered him a job. And the first piece he did at EA while an employee was Jordan versus Bird one on one. Anyway, when the game starts, the game loads, we, we meet Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney. <laughs> yeah, it is Rodney Dangerfield, without yeah, a doubt. Yeah, of course. It's Rodney Dangerfield. I know it is. It's Rodney. It's called Rodney. It's the owner of the local skate shop, and it's here that you sign up the number of plays you want to include, pick the colour of your board, check out the high scores, and so on. It's all done in a manner befitting the game. So basically, you've got this skill, you've got this um, still image of Rodney Dangerfield with a pink Moeekan. I think it's pink Moeekan. Um, yep. And, the, and there's, there's these sort of icons, these images around the screen, and you move a little skate or die icon, like a sprite, around the screen. And as you move over certain elements, Rodney comments on what each thing does. So he's like, right, yeah, pick your level here. Do this here. Here's, your, here's only the greatest boarders get their names here for the high score stuff. It's really nice. A really nice sort of menu system, and, and I really like that. It's, yeah, once done, so... Once you've entered how many players, you can have up to eight players. So like the Epics games, you can put up to eight. You can have eight people content content, or just on your own. So it's no it's prob- no, prob- no problem. You just pick your own. Once that's done, you pick your colour of your board. You've got two options down at the bottom in the bottom left. You've got compete or practice. Clicking on either of those takes you outside the shop. And so basically at this point, you, 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 you're a little kid, little guy um, on a skateboard in, in the front of the shop. And the graphics are really nice. It's a really nice sort of screen. And there's essentially, there's a road. The road leads out from the shop and it leads off in six different directions. And they find Five of the, and this is basically how you negotiate your way to the events. Five of them go into individual events, while the sixth road is to compete in them all. And they go to the left, left and the right, and down the bottom. And all you got to do is just direct your skater at the road you want, and the game automatically loads in the event. And this is really nice. It get, lets you get a feel for the controls of the skater. You know, the speed you push forward to go faster and turn left and right, and the speed at which he turns and all that sort of thing. I don't know if you could do tricks at this point. I didn't actually try. Maybe you can. Um, mm, I didn't but do it, any. But it also what it lets you appreciate the detail in the animation that this game has. That skater is well animated. You know, it really the is. smoothness is brilliant. It's really good animation in this game. So you've got five events you can take part in, and they are freestyle, high jump, downhill race, downhill jam, 
and pool joust. So I'll go through them now. The freestyle uh, is the first uh, and is probably the one that takes the most practice to get used to. Um, but I still felt it felt approachable, even for newcomers. The event takes place over a half pipe and at the sections on either side where the pipe bends to become flat are two zones marked out with shading. So a half pipe is essentially, it's a big U um, and you've got sort of two steep, so vertical sides. It curves, uh, curves at the corners and then there's a flat bit at the bottom. So it's shaped like a U. It's a half pipe, but it's not a full pipe because it's a half pipe. Sometimes I do quarter pipes, but this is a half pipe. And these parts, these shaded parts, this made me laugh in the instructions. They're called pump zones. <laughs> and it's in these zones that you must pump your player to do tricks. So I'm just going to read out what the instructions say because this this like had me laughing quite a lot. It says, remember, one click in a pump zone counts as one pump. To get two pumps in a pass, pump once in each pump zone. <laughs> That's a lot of pumping. That's a lot of pumping. There's a whole lot of pumping going on in this half pipe, but different combination of pumps in the pump zones lets you do different tricks. So if you're moving to the right, uh, heading to the right right side of the thing, then moving the joystick to the left in both pump zones, remember one movement, is, is a pump in each zone, does a hand plant. So essentially, as you go through the first one, do it to the left. As you go through the second one, do it to the left again. When the guy gets to the top, he'll do a hand plant, and then you just come back down again. Well, if you only do one pump, you'll do a foot plant. And there's all different ways of doing this, like left, right, moving towards it, up, down, things like that. It's a really quite a nice control system because you're, just, you're, you're choosing your moves as you're heading towards the top, and then you can fall, and there's a tricky bit where you've got to kind of get your balance right to come back off. But once you get the hang of the directions to pump, you can do some decent moves. You get 10 passes to do your stuff so 10 ups and downs on both ways um and, and you build up your score from the various moves you pull off so i'll come to why that goes good so i think that's quite a good nice way to do it so that's it essentially you get 10 10 goes and you're done you don't, if you fall off it doesn't matter you just keep going until you've done your 10 goes second up is the high jump this is pretty simple this one it's on the half pipe again uh you just have to just rotate the joystick as fast as you can to get the highest jump you can so as you got as you guys going up and down you're just basically moving the i just found it, it, it the best way to do it i found was to rotate your joystick not waggle left and right or up and down it's rotate it that's the best way i found and that's the highest way i could get something i think i got 12 meters 11 which i thought was quite high i was nearly off the top of the screen so seemed all yeah, right I to me you get five goes back and forth but the game takes your last one as the final score which is quite a nice touch so you've got to kind of it's a bit of a risk reward which is quite nice so if you do a massive jump on the third attempt you can press the fire button to end the run there and then and that's your recorded score or if you think you can do better keep going but you might not do better and therefore you lose that that that, uh, that big jump it's a nice touch up next is the downhill race uh this sees you racing down a path like uh, it's just a vertical vertical downward scroller basically you go between flags and pulling off tricks and shortcuts if you can so you basically just there's, there's a path that leads between greenery you know uh, grass and stuff so you've got to guide your guy through there's flags either side there's like you know pull there's like gates in skiing it's essentially it's downhill skiing and you've got to go through the gates you can play this in either regular mode which basically is uh, so as you view it as the player it's how you play it so pulling down speeds you up and left and right turns you in that direction or you can try it in goofy mode which is actually the way i found most easier which means play from the view of the skater so up speeds you up and turning to the left turns you to the left in relation to where the skater is looking so it kind of reverses the control slightly i actually found that more doable but maybe that's just me but it's good that it offers both of those and that's a nice touch and again a nice affordance to the player the objective is simply just to get down as quick as possible for massive points as far as i could work out next up is the downhill jam so here you race against either a human or a computer opponent the objective is to get through you're racing basically through narrow alleyways um there's junk on the floor and you've got to avoid it you can jump over it and you, you can hit your opponent as well off their board for points and basically basically leg it down to the bottom. There's a cop car waiting at the box, a nice touch. Um, and that's down there. First to the bottom is not always the winner, though, depending on how many points you build up into the race. 
So you can win even if you come in second. Um, and finally, we have the pool joust. Again, it's you versus either the computer or another human. If you pick from the computer, so if you're playing this one player, you can battle against Poser Pete, who's the easy, easy option, Agro Eddie, who's the medium, or Lester, who I think is the guy from the uh, the shop at the beginning that's Rodney Dangerfield's character, I think, or it might be his son. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I couldn't remember no. which. Yeah, and he that's the hard mode, essentially. So the game has you both... So what it is, you've got a view of a pool from your, your one end of a pool, and it's a nicely shaded pool. And essentially what it is... So kind of like the half pipe, but a pool. So it's an empty, an empty swimming pool. Swimming pool, yeah. Yeah, and and you're skating back and forth, up and down the sides. So a curved bottom, swimming back up and forth. You're skating back and forth up, up, across this pool, jumping off the top and, and getting changed back down. One of you has a boffing stick, what they call it. It's a pugil stick. Think gladiators with those pugil sticks. Giant with, cotton with bud. Pugil. Giant cotton bud. That's the one. Yeah. Over those five passes, you but you basically you get five goes to go across. And over those five passes, you've got to boff the opponent off their board whilst they try and avoid you. So the opponent is trying to you know, up and down this pool trying to get away from you while you're trying to sort of track them down and you press fire when you're next to them and that'll smack them off the uh, smack them off the uh, the skateboard. If you don't do it, if you don't do it in the five, the boffing stick automatically passes to the opponent and they now chasing you across the board. So this is quite, you know, back and forth. This this kind of works out. And, you know, so you've got to have both the skills of trying to chase and being the chasee, I guess. And this keeps going on until one of you gets hit. Um, and it's the first of three hits wins this game. And that's that's how you progress in this one. So they're the five events. As noted, you can practice all these. And the practice is good because once you practice one, it just says, do you want to practice again or just quit back out? And that's quite nice. So you can just keep repeatedly going at it until you get your head around the controls or just quit back. Or you can compete. And the sixth option, uh, if you do compete, if you go to compete, obviously it's compete in all events or practice all events. And that goes through, you know, you go through all the games until you've got an overall winner after completing them all. So that's the game, okay? And to put it to put it simply, this feels like the game that California Games wanted to be for me. Yeah. This, this is what it wants to be. The level of polish here is Epic's levels. It's up there. There's no two ways around it. And the visuals, the addition of Rob Hubbard on sound, it just adds to the level of quality. This is amazing feeling game. The events, they're a laugh to play. They're good. They're easy to pick up, which couldn't be said for California Games. Um, it has that sunny California vibe. Everything is bright. The skies are blue. Everything feels, you know, cool. It's, you know, there's no horrible browns of, you know, the, we've seen in like Mean Streak and going around the M25. Everything feels sunny and happy and nice. This is a really enjoyable game to look at and play. The music's nice all the way through. The visuals and animation are top notch and smooth jumps, twist turns, falling animations are funny. There's good stuff. The backdrops are well drawn. The scrolling's smooth. The whole thing, it just, it's just enjoyable. It's a laugh. It's just, it's just a joy to play this. I found this really enjoyable. It's a bit limited. It's all, is it a bit? limited though that it's all skateboarding i mean it's skate or die but so does that limit its uh enjoyability perhaps possibly maybe is it a bit limited there are only five events maybe you know at least california games has six but you know one of them is just chasing a chasing a frisbee maybe but it doesn't stop this what is here is being a good laugh and most importantly fun to play and you know and imagine in a group setting this would be brilliant the best of the game series had this that element and this takes those elements and builds its events around them the controls option on the races allows you to pick what's best for you from the moment you skate out of the shop the feel of the game is just a sun-drenched california style antics i'd never really played this very much which I think I always confuse this for some reason with 720. And so this was a real pleasant surprise for me. 92%. If this had another event, one more event, this is gold medal all day, all day of the week. Maybe even now. 92% probably about right. Maybe it should be higher. I don't know. This is a, you know, one more event. Two, it'd have been, phew, yeah, this would have been one, you know, possibly pushing for game of the year. Five, maybe. And, and considering the high jumps a bit limiting and two of them are downhill races. Okay. 
if we could have done something else, and this is what I mean about skateboards, what else could you do with skateboards, I guess, in, in this kind of thing? So, however, it's still brilliant. I still love this. I thought this was ace. It's by far the best game I've played so far this year. I really enjoyed this. It's better than Cosmic Causeway. It's the best. We've had two amazing games this week. How often can we say this? I loved this. This was brilliant. What about you? Yeah, I'm not going to add loads more to what you said. I agree with everything you've said. It's got a, an absolute thumping Robert Bird soundtrack. It's, it's I'm not generally a fan of the two-bit samples thing, but no, it really works here. And it, it's just, it just really does, you know, it, it's a landmark. As soon as it lands with that title screen, the graphic and that music, you're like, this is going to be something special. It just punches you in the face with it. The game itself is graphically probably one of the best ones we've seen in a long time on the C64. The graphics here are genuinely gorgeous. Really detailed, smooth animations, brilliantly drawn backgrounds, really nice sprites. All the various games play really smoothly. There's no bugs and glitches that's really easy to control and get into. Um, yes, there's some of them are a bit uh, you know difficult. Some and you know, on the chat more challenging on the more difficult difficult levels. The joust springs to mind there, like you say. But they've all got really instant appeal. They've all got multiplayer practicality to them. There's really fun elements. There's just it's everything that Epic's games are, but it's not an Epic's game. So it's all it's there, but you know it's Epic's game in everything but you know publisher really. Um, and that's to its credit. I think you're exactly right. This is the game that California Games really wanted to be and is not. Um, and by sticking to the one mode of transport, as it were, and providing games around that, it works really well. Now, I've never been a skateboard or anything like, but this game still appealed to me and still played well. Back then, it was really good. And on revisiting this, it reminded me of how good this actually is. Some of the games, are they a little bit short? I don't know. Maybe they are. Like you say, maybe there's limited limited amounts of things you can do with a skateboard. But I think because you've got multiplayer in this and you've got all those different options, and I thought it was just, you know, it's a really refreshing take on something. A return to form, and a bit. I imagine it's a bit of a, you know, someone, someone holding up bit of a sign to epics and going these you know stop doing the california games types of this is how you should be doing them um mm-hmm. so i thought this was really really good this, this is never going to be in my sort of top you know maybe it is actually it may be never in my top 10 but this is certainly one of my favorite games to play certainly been the favorite one of this episode i really really enjoyed my time with this really good looking really good fun really fast loading as well nice fast loader so it was nippy you were straight into it yeah the events loaded really Absolutely. fast the really good everything about it was really slick and it really played it was so a collection of really good little mini games all wrapped up in a really nice package well done well done ea this is such a good you know a good start to 1988 finally a, a game we can actually get behind and go this is really really good go find a copy of it on an emulator or whatever and play it because it's definitely worth revisiting i had such fun playing this and even the in-game music was good yeah you got that rob hubbard electric guitar sample keyboard sample sound blasting out really loud really loud mm. they are the sounds in it Mm-hmm. But even the in-game music, oh, perfectly suits the game. But those graphics, they're just so beautiful in this. They really are good. Top-notch stuff. Yep, loved it. Really great game, Skate or Die. 92%. I think it deserved a bit more than that myself, but there you go. It's a good game and a great one to end on, isn't it? What a great game that is. It is. It's always nice to uh, end on something where you're not sure about it. I'm not sure about this. Thinking it could have been, you know, who knows what it was going to be like. But yeah, it's Absolutely. really good. Really good. There we go. That's it. That's our games. That's our, that's it for this week. What have we looked at? Uh, we looked at Cosmic Causeway, which we really liked. Uh, that's how you do yeah. a sequel. Sean Southern never ceases to amaze with his technical <laughs> coding prowess. Pierre Gem Pegasus, which 
was missing a screen. Uh, we'll yep. see that a bit later. But you know, technically impressive, but just missing a mo- miss, missing a mo. Rygar, which was you know, if you squint and missing mm. its smashy yo-yo, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, true. You know, superstar ice hockey in depth, but you're gonna have to love ice hockey. One, one for the ice hockey lovers. One for the ice oh. hockey lovers. Bobsleigh, not one for the bobsleigh lovers, probably not one for anyone. No. That one we didn't Rubbish. like that. Uh, mean streak. Uh, just go drive around mm. the M25. You probably have more fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, what can I say? Airborne Ranger, like PHM Pegasus, missing a screen. Missing a radar. Yeah, missing Put a, a radar, radar in that, you. and you've got. A, I think you've got a fantastic game. Inspector Gadget, horror, horror upon horror horrible, upon horror, horrible thing, horrible. And then finally, the excellent Sun Drenched Skate or Die, which we thought was a. There we go. Uh, interesting set of games, mostly positive, mm. mostly yeah, positive. Yeah. Not some there's some good ones creeping in. Yeah, there really are. That's it. If uh, you've enjoyed that, hopefully you have. That's it. But if you wish to support the podcast as ever, uh, you can head over to our Patreon on at uh, patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past. Loads of cool stuff going on there. High score challenges, early uh, access to episodes. Uh, we've just had Battle of the Planet pa- Battle of Pilots, sorry, come out properly as I re- as we are recording this. But you could have been listening to that weeks ago as we released it well early on our Patreon. And we'll probably will do the same with the next one. So there's all that you can get all those kind of things you can get your, sh- your name in the shout out chat with us and do all the stuff on the discord it's all good it all helps us and it, you know keeps us going and you know it, it just helps us to be supported so again um head over there patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past this is another pretty chunky episode even though we've cut down the number of games we're looking at it's still bloody long well there's some heavyweights um, in there though big, there big, are yeah we, we had a lot know, to talk about yeah, and some interesting issues and some interesting stuff. So I think, uh, have you got anything more you wish to add? No, I'm done. As I say, I just want to try and wash the uh, Inspector Gadget skid marks out of my pants now. <laughs> yeah, they're not coming out. They're, they're stuck yeah. like Lady Macbeth. I'm going to have to burn them. <laughs> Absolutely. Burn when you'd burn them. Right, okay, so we will sign off, I think. Go play some of those games. Go play Skate or Die. It's really good. Um, yes. So on that note, uh, we'll be back next week. Actually, no, hang on a minute. We'll, we'll be back next week. We finish off, uh, we only get around to finish in January. So next week, what do we have next week? Uh, we've got Spore Western Games, Mad Balls, Chromazone. <laughs> this, this, I'm All just right. saying words. Uh, we've got uh, we've got the uh, the conversion of Star Wars, Sky Twice, which actually scored less than uh, Inspector Gadget Zap, so that'll be oh, interesting. Uh, the conversion of Rampage. We've got Zor, which is uh, a programming command as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and and Risk, which is not okay. the board game. No, I can certainly say that. It's a shoot up some description. So that's what we've got to round off January for next week. Um, so obviously, you know, look forward to that uh, um, I don't know if there's any crap bits there might very well be I don't know I'm not sure if I found anything but there we go so we've got that coming up we have done that so I'm going to say goodbye so as ever I have been Adrian Mills and I have been Graham Ruddings and you have been listening to Zap to the Past and we will see you again next week goodbye Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuther, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something. 
Apparently, the Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.